With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So, amazingly enough, we are now mere weeks away from actual tackle football American style. Football Americano. Uh, beginning again in earnest. Uh, the college season will kick off, I believe, on the 27th. There's a bizarre uh, over-the-international-dateline game, I believe, between Hawaii and uh, – um, oh, gosh, who's Hawaii playing again? Um, shoot. Uh, Hawaii and Cal, I believe, are playing in Australia, if memory serves it correctly. Yes, Hawaii and Cal kick it off in Australia. And we've been acknowledged by the ninth one of the world, the Second, how does United Scout Sports Media? The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Montel Hardy. How are you doing, Montel? Uh, doing great, Bill. Uh, you can hear me okay? Oh, yes, yes. It's, oh, perfect. You have, perfect. You have been missed. Great. You have been greatly missed. Oh, thanks. Hey, I, I miss you in, in the gang, too. It's uh, It's been a wild summer. Um, I had a bit of a stomach bug in early July. Early, Ooh. actually, second week of July that I'm just starting to get over. So I, um, Oh boy. Yeah. So like Leonard Floyd, like Leonard Floyd, you've lost about 22 pounds. I, I lost uh, almost 10. Yeah. It, it was rough. Um, not quite Leonard Floyd. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's when you, when you're supposed to be working out every day, you know, it's, it shouldn't be that drastic of a loss. You know, I, I was sitting in bed, not keeping anything down. That's how Ooh. I lost my, um, but I'm good now, Bill. Um, been completely full speed for about a week. And, uh, yeah, I'm ready to roll. Excellent, excellent. Well, here's the people often uh, talk about the good old days. and Sometimes I talk about the bad old days. But one of the things that is radically different, with very few exceptions in the old days, teams, particularly your power teams, would always begin with a cupcake. Sometimes back-to-back cupcakes, and then you know, play someone decent week three after they felt like you know they'd really gotten into into trim. The one thing I will say about the last few years is there's been a trend of good football games opening up the season. That is a relatively new thing, and I like it. I yeah I want to say I don't know if that's what they wanted, but it's it's certainly happening, and I know that's what the media wants because they're used to those cupcake games. You know, some people the first week or so it's kind of like yeah, you know, I'll follow it on the online. You know, I'm not gonna watch. <laughs> yeah, I know what the end result's gonna be. Um, yeah. So the the good news for us, you <laughs> know, the ones who get to watch, is that there are games filled with intrigue to begin the season. I mean. Matt Barkley, back when people were supposedly saying he was a shoe-in, you know, future first-rounder, opened up against Ohio State on the road as a, uh-huh. just a kid, basically, and carved him up pretty good, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, frankly, I mean, to be honest, that had a little bit more to do with Ohio State being used to 
facing good offenses, but more simple offenses, like their own, to be perfectly honest, and struggled when an offense could, frankly, hide its whole card a little better than they were used to. So, yep. so hey, what, what's, how come that guy was behind me when I was this guy in front of me was the guy I thought was going to get the football? You know, that kind of thing. But still, we now get to see Alabama on yep. the road or neutral site or whatever you want to call it against a good team in the first game of the season. Uh, we get to see teams that might be playing for national championships play other good teams before they know how good they are yet, which used to never happen. Like I said, Bear Bryant wouldn't yeah. be playing, you know, Michigan State to begin the season for any amount of money, quite frankly. He wouldn't care if, if he, what the number was. I mean, if it was in the billions, he'd be like, well, I, I just wouldn't be fair to my boys. But um, – Thinking about week one, what are the games that have your interest and why? Uh, well, to start, I think, you know, you have to open up looking at Oklahoma versus Houston, right, Bill? I mean, this is a game uh, that you don't want to overlook too soon. And, and if Oklahoma does not come in there with their head on straight, they could leave their own one. Uh, and that's a team that I'm pretty sure most might feel comfortable picking to win the conference, uh, the Big 12 conference, that is. So, um, I'll look at that game first. Uh, another one is uh, LSU, and I believe they play Wisconsin. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that's a neutral state game, too. Or that might be um, – I think it's in the state of Wisconsin, but it's not actually at Badger Stadium. I forgot where. Um, but, yeah, so that's a game that will have big implications for both teams, and I think a win there puts whichever team as a favorite to take their respective division and possibly play in the championship game for their conference. So um, I, I would project LSU as the winner. I don't necessarily believe Wisconsin has figured it out, uh, specifically in the passing game. I know Corey Clement's back. He's going to be fantastic. I think they're going to hold and play with him for a good while, and I think a big reason for that would be maybe some of the lack of progress on LSU's passing attack as well. Still not a full-time believer for him Harris, but – uh, we'll see, Bill. We'll see. I think this is going to be another close game. But just like I said, the winner of this game will get the momentum and the confidence they need to really do some things this season. I'm just curious what it's going to be. Okay, oh, can you hear me? Or... <clears throat> You there, Bill? So, are there particular players you're also excited about seeing in that matchup? Uh, which matchup? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I guess go through, I guess, that starting back in order and sort of walking through from where you began. Are there particular players that you would like to see 
facing other guys? Uh, well, sure. Um, specifically, I do want to see uh, what Corey Clement can do with this uh, LSU defense. You know, we're just a year removed from this guy entering the year as a uh, potential All-American, uh, a possible walk-or award watch this person. Uh, this is a guy who I think can come in and really prove himself against a really tough LSU defense. I want to see how he fares this week back against them, and I really want to see if Brandon Maris uh, against uh, Wisconsin's defense. I mean, can he take the step? You know, I'm not the biggest believer in him. I think their passing game holds two great wide receivers, and I, I, I'm a great running back. But you know, is this guy to steer the wheel? Um, is he ready? Uh, you know, I'm not calling the goal, so we'll have to see. Uh, and Malachi Dupree. A lot of people talk about Travis Durrell, and I get it. Fantastic athlete. Malachi Dupree is my favorite in that group, and I think you might hear and see a little bit more about him. Uh, up against the LSU secondary, or I'm sorry, up against uh, Wisconsin secondary. Now, the Wisconsin secondary is never much trumpeted, but there's always these one or two guys that find their way onto the NFL roster from their secondary. Last year, Caputo, a couple years before that, it was, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Alfonso Denard? No, no, that's Nebraska. Um, I'm not sure. So, yes, I'm interested to see also uh, the development of pass rush for both teams. Despite the fact that LSU is kind of a factory for defensive linemen. They tend not to have a great, devastating, you know, can beat whoever lines up across from that that guy head up kind of pass rusher. You don't have a Bruce Smith in their history ever, or a Jesus Peppers. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't have that guy ever. <laughs> so, can they finally just develop one? Because we always hear about the next guy, whether it be, you know, Rasco or, you know, if you want to go back further, obviously Mingo or whatever O they have, we keep hearing that one of those guys is going to be great. It never quite seems to quite pan out as such. Yeah, At least it hasn't guys, so far. Yeah, yeah, some of these guys leave early. Um, you know, like Mingo was a guy who a lot of people – I mean, he didn't really have the career um, – I think that a lot of people were expecting some of these legendary LSU guys to have. Uh, you know, Bill Hunter was a guy I had to uh, pound the table for two years ago, Bill. Uh, and in one season in Minnesota, he already surpassed his back total uh, as a Tiger. So, yeah, you're right. I think they get a lot of uh, athletes along their defensive front, and uh, some of them leave before they can really have the type of prominent season that you look for, you know, uh, out of a, a big-time pass rusher. Uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, Wisconsin, you know, they got Vincent Tiger. You know, they they lost one half of the tandem. You know, Schobert's uh, part of the NFL. Joe Schobert was on the other side of the edge last year. But they do have Beigel. And going into last year, once again, Beigel was the more uh, the, the more prominent name. Uh, so this could be a big year for him. And the 
quarterback position obviously is one that is much studied, much debated, analyzed. You know, people have theories and projections and et cetera. And, you know, there's people that we're hearing are going to be great this year. Some for guys who at least show promise. Some of these things are just based on, I don't know, uh, hope. But of sure. the week one quarterbacks, who do you most want to see and why? Or which ones do you most want to see and why? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, as we go, uh, well, first, uh, I'm still seeing, I, I don't know specifically what Penn State wants to do with the quarterback position. They do have a couple different guys I believe that are working and sharing experience for their spot, but I'm curious to see what they can do moving forward. I really want to see uh, – they have a more mobile quarterback, and they also have a coordinator who runs a more up-level team. So you're going to have a new look spread-ish uh, Penn State offense, and I want to see whoever's going to be running the system. And uh, I just can't wait for, you know, us to get, you know, eight or nine games in and people immediately start saying, well, you know, Christian Hackenberg had a great first year too, you know. but. Uh, I really think he can take uh, the right quarterback can take a team like a Penn State but a, a, a very long way, and, and they have just had to receive a quarter benefit from it. Uh, another quarterback I'm interested in uh, looking at is uh, I really want to see uh, first off at uh, oh I'm sorry West Virginia they have a very highly touted quarterback too, and apparently uh, you know unlike some of these other schools they don't have much for competition they have a guy and it's just like they're kind of moving forward. Uh, I want to see what he can do against a very tough defense. Uh, I, I don't really think Missouri's ever going to be a joke. Um, I know their coach moved on, but uh, they've recruited a very high grade of defensive linemen. They always have. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. And, uh, of course, you know, there's the Alabama game. We'll see what's going to happen. Um, in my heart of hearts, I feel like there's no question that uh, Lane Kiffin has uh, the most talented group of quarterbacks he's had since he's been at Alabama. Uh, having to make use of Blake Sims, uh, you know, last year with Jacob Coker. Uh, it might be Blake Barnett. Um, I guess maybe Cooper Bateman could be a possibility, but I am curious to see what Alabama does with the quarterback. Yeah, probably the most talented group of quarterbacks he's had since he and Sarkeesian were co-coordinators at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been a minute since he's had guys that people expected to be, you know, more than just, I mean, I, once again, the term is overused, but they would like you to simply keep the game manageable, and at least in the, in the past. And if they can get more than that out of the quarterback position, I guess there's two questions. One is, will they actually take advantage of it if they do, because it sort of almost violates the prime directive at Alabama to do, do so. But secondarily, will will it make that team more difficult to defend if they actually do open it up, which – you know, once again, something nobody at least has seen yet from them. And it'll be interesting to see if they, even if they can, if they will. Yep. And they also have a really nice group of wide receivers. Uh, they don't have a single, you know, Amari Cooper, but they have Parker. They have. But yeah, they have several. Maybe not a you know a single superstar, but they have several really good wide receivers. And I guess the 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 one superstar 
amongst the receiving targets on offense, or at least people are projecting is, of course, O.J. Howard. But we've been hearing this since he was 17. And I guess we'll all find out together if this is the year it finally it actually happens. Mm-hmm. And, and and I agree, and I think O.J. Howard's going to play a big role in that offense, uh, whatever they decide to do. And uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be a big year for Alabama. I'm curious. Uh, when you look at the SEC in general at the quarterback position, it's very depressing. Uh, I think we've all had discussions on Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly is the most stable quarterback situation, I think, in the entire SEC right now, uh, given that there are still battles going on. Uh, one thing I am curious about, and, and Bill, you can tell me how you feel about this. Maybe I'm taking it personal now because my dad's actually a resident of South Carolina now, but I just don't see how this goes well for the Gamecocks. You know, they hired Muschamp, he's a defensive-minded coach, but their offense is also a mess. So uh, I, I really hope that between, I think, Perry Orth and uh, Nunez, uh, they can choose who they want and maybe just stick with one guy. Uh, I really don't like what they tried to do with two quarterbacks last year, especially with Orth, who I think has some natural talent as a passer, not overwhelming um, you know, physically, but has some natural talent as a passer, and, and to me, was a better decision maker. I would do. And the the other thing that I'll be interested to see, obviously we've been hearing about Bo Scarborough and seeing pictures of Bo Scarborough and predictions regarding Bo Scarborough and uh, projections about Bo Scarborough and, you know, uh, comparisons and, I mean, everything, everything. You know, he's going to be better or almost as good or, you know, I mean, all the, you know, I mean, the Bo Scarborough storylines are pretty well established. Uh, two questions. One is, what do you actually expect from Bo Scarborough? And two, if indeed this team has more talent, as you just pointed out, in the quarterback position, more talent at the wide receiver position, and more talent at the tight end position, maybe than any other Alabama team in recent history, will they actually, not that they'll stop being a power run team, but will they de-emphasize their, how hard they've leaned on the run, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think it will. And, you know, I remember, you know, just about a, a year and a half or so ago when Alabama lost Ohio State in the National Championship game, the first thing I told you was, you know, uh, offense at Alabama was usually pretty boring and pretty vanilla, and uh, all they needed was that type of strategy to win the game against Ohio State. You know, they put it in the air too much. They threw it around, and I think that hurt them a lot. Uh, this year I think it might be the same thing. You look at what Wayne Kiffin likes to do on offense, uh, I mean, and he's not shy about, you know, getting the ball. To, you know, he said Derrick Henry a lot last year. We all know that. But his specific system was catered uh, more for a guy like a Kenyon Drake than it is for a Derrick Henry. Uh, and he would prefer a guy that's a little bit more of a east-to-west type runner with a little bit more lateral agility. And we don't know if we're, or personally, I don't know physically if he's that agile yet. I'm going to uh, flat out assume no out of the gate. And we'll see. He proves me wrong. He's super quick left and right. And, hey, um, good on him, but 
Uh, I think in terms of uh, philosophically what they do need to do on offense, they really need to pay attention to the situation. Whoever they've got in there at the quarterback position is going to be a first-timer. It's the third time you've got a first-time quarterback. And uh, you've got to lean on the run, especially in the first few games. It's on Scarborough to deliver, though. Uh, I think he's going to come in with a target on his back. And I think out of the gate, their biggest place to come on play action as a result of it. Okay. People always try to sniff out upsets. And, of course, you know, it's a good way to make yourself look silly or like a genius. But, obviously, the better chance is silly. But, nonetheless, uh, we're going to play a little a little detective. Do you feel like there might be a big or even medium-sized upset sneaking around somewhere in week one? Uh, good question. Uh, to me, there always is. And it depends on the level. I mean, we talk like a big time upset or just any upset, or you know, there's, there's a few games going on. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of games, obviously. Uh, like I said, I mean, could Hawaii beat Cal? Uh, I mean, you're no. flying halfway around the planet, but it's unlikely. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, I do think a sleeper game might be Western Michigan versus uh, Northwestern. Uh, mm. Western Michigan is highly touted out here. They actually uh, uh, they are projected to win the MAC title this year. Uh, they had a very strong season last year. Uh, offense that was about as prolific as Western Michigan's seen, and they're returning a lot of starters this year. Uh, I think if they face off against Northwestern team that, uh, and, and I love Northwestern to death offensively, we're going to see what they can do moving forward. I think they have Clay Thorson probably going to be the guy for them. Uh, yeah, so. Their offense is uh, a little slower, you know, a little bit more I form, a little bit more pro style. Uh, it's not really catered to gaining points and bunches or huge chunks of yards immediately. I don't think the worst will be that uh, confident going down the field making those big attempts. Uh, it's a mop-up duty he did last year in a couple games. It didn't really seem like he was there yet. Uh, so, basically, if uh, Western Michigan can spread them out, get a few quick scores, uh, this could be. Uh, a very sneaky loss for Northwestern, uh, just sheer, just on sheer pace of play. Uh, I think another game that a lot of people are looking at is Tulane as they go against Wake Forest. Now, uh, maybe it's subjective, but I think right now Tulane is considered the underdog in this matchup, but I don't think they should be. Um, I think they've got a program that's on the rise. Uh, I like what they're doing at the corner of the position, and they've got a uh, defense that, that's returning a good number of guys, too. So uh, I'm really curious. Uh, they have a Harry Nichols, they have a DB. I think the safety or corner was very good, and I think in time we'll get, you know, some of his uh, his uh, due respect. But uh, I like him a lot. Uh, they also have Tenzel Smart on that defensive line. Uh, yeah, member of my all underappreciated team. Yes, and good mm-hmm. athlete also, mm-hmm. just in being very large. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, I think that uh, they can shake things up against uh, Wake Forest. Now I know that game doesn't. Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't move the uh, move the, the meter, if you will, like a lot of games will that weekend. But that's an, uh, another one you can look at. Uh, aside from that, uh, um, it gets uh, pretty hairy. I mean, some of these games should be business as usual. You know, not everyone's playing a game against a, a big time competitor. Uh, as I look through some of these, Southern Miss and Kentucky could be a thing. Uh, 
that one of their quarterback is one of the is, is he's going to enter I think uh, a very very strong uh, discussion in terms of NFL draft talk. He's going to be productive in that offense. That system they run is very pass heavy. Um, I, I want to call it like run and shoot ish, but it's not quite that. But it's uh, you know it's a fast play, pass first offense. He's going to face off against Patrick Tolles, uh, quarterback from Kentucky. Uh, this is going to be a good game. I think Kentucky's defense can't set them apart, but uh, they've got some unproven guys. So Southern Miss at Kentucky could be big. And for Kentucky, a team that's fighting for that bowl berth that kind of wants to, you know, get into that comfortable eight-win season range, uh, that's a game they need to win. and They might not get it, Uh, but but they they do play them at home. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Not that long ago, Kentucky was kind of a sexy, dark horse, you know, sneaky, going to compete in the East pick a few years ago, and then, you know, things happened or things didn't happen. Patty Ice didn't quite turn out to be the, you know, future first-rounder that, that some thought he might be. Um, I'm, a game that I have circles, but not for the normal reasons, is, is Vandy, South Carolina. You mentioned that South Carolina could be in trouble. and Obviously, this used to be a guaranteed win on their on their schedule not all that long ago. Oh, good, Vandy's coming. Way, you know, guaranteed W. Well, those days are long gone. One, because Vandy's much better, and as you pointed out, South Carolina's much worse. If, if they end up losing that game, and if they lose that game ugly, like three scores, this could be one of those, you know, oof, like fired halfway through the season kind of years. Well, <laughs> well, maybe yeah. halfway through the season, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, South Carolina's used to be good, and if they're terrible, not bad, but awful, just, just you know, mind-meltingly bad, like, you know, one in six, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, things could go downhill fast. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't think they'd get rid of Muschamp so quickly, but I've watched college football recently. Such thing would have been unthinkable just a few years ago, but now it's thinkable. It's completely thinkable that they could pull the trigger precipitously. Uh, you know, Lane Kiffin could hear, hear his phone ring or somebody else could hear their phone ring pretty quickly. I, I know what they were trying to do, as you pointed out, sort of getting away, turning the page on Spurrier and becoming more defensive and blah, blah, blah. But if that fails miserably, look for them to try to find the next Spurrier. And Okay, admittedly, he didn't win a Heisman Trophy, and admittedly, he, you know, wasn't a legendary player, but Kiffin, obviously a former quarterback, uh, wears a visor, kind of a cocky douche. So, <laughs> you know, they could be looking, yeah. they could be looking, you know, to try to fill that void, and it looks like Kiffin's kind of become an SEC guy late in his, well, not late, because he's still like 40, uh, I guess, middle of his coaching career. Uh, thanks, of course, to the, you know, the tender love of, of, of Coach Saban. But, oh, boy. And his, time in, and his time in Tennessee as well. I mean, he's now, you know, been a head coach in the, in the conference already. He's been a highly successful, almost magical uh, coordinator. When I look at what he did with people like, like Sims, I mean, there's this, I was astonished at what he managed to to get out of Lake Sims. I mean, that's yeah. It, he it plays harder football than guys who you know play this more than yeah. one year. Yeah, right. Exactly. He 
he it made what he did with Jonathan Crompton, which is also amazing, um, pale by comparison. Yeah. So, because at least Crompton had been a full-time quarterback his entire career. But this is, I think, a really important game. Now, should South Carolina find a way to win that game? Not that means, you know, it's going to be a great season, but I think it changes everything. But if they get blown out by Vandy, right, blown out, beat by 21, 24, something like that, you know, or, you know, God forbid worse, but, you know, if it's a, if it's a not terribly close game against Vandy, their former whipping boy, whew. It, it, it was, it, I mean, I, I got to say this. Vandy doesn't win big a lot. So if that happens, <laughs> yes, um, uh, Will Muschamp is in trouble. And if you look at, you know, the Gamecock schedule, first off, even last year, uh, oh, they almost a, lost to him. And that was, yes. you could tell True. on uh, Spurrier's face after the game, he, he knew, <laughs> he, he kind of knew that this wasn't the team he hoped it would be in camp that, that previous August. Uh, when they needed 13 second half points to to beat uh, to beat Vanderbilt 19 uh, to 10 I think or something like that so they, they needed to really pour it on in the second half they did to beat them they could have lost that game easily and you know looking at the schedule this year if they lose to Vanderbilt you know oh, Mississippi State gut punched by Mississippi State then a they sneaky got a, tough game mm-hmm, against ECU. Then Kentucky, I mean, we saw about what Kentucky might do in week one. Kentucky, I don't know where they stand and how they sit. But Kentucky could be anything. They could be an eight, nine-win <laughs> team, or they could be a two-win team. I mean, that's Kentucky. You don't know what you're ever going to get out of Kentucky. Exactly. And I can, then I a can pretty much guaranteed through. loss to A&M, then a pretty much guaranteed loss to Georgia. But, hey, UMass, UMass might give them that, that, <laughs> that window. Might be, yes. <laughs> and, and I think even most analysts are giving them a max of one win probably before that game, and it's probably Vanderbilt. But what I'm saying is this gets really sticky. You lose a Vanderbilt, you better take oh. care of your business at home against Eastern Carolina. And even if you don't, I mean, we're talking about entering, uh, you know, that October matchup against uh, UMass, I think, what, would that be one and five? Oh, one and five? That would be, Already that would be bad. Five. That's what I'm saying. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I said. If they get to one and six, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but that could be it. You know, because that could be that could be it. Uh, hey, it doesn't Tennessee get Tom's, the, no, got Missouri, the Florida. <laughs> At Florida. They don't get a. It doesn't let up into Western Carolina. Yeah. So you're talking about maybe. I mean, I can say what was that three and nine? That three wins. Yeah. And, mean, and 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 even if you love them, can you give them more than one more? Oh man! I, I mean, will say this: I see, four and I eight might not get five and seven. I can't I can't yeah. find a fifth victory, so I don't know where they're getting that five from. Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. I think <laughs> they need some luck, or maybe maybe they got stronger than we think. But uh, they've dealt with camp injuries too. But to they me, better it's have like what well, they better have one hell of a defense, or as you pointed out, mm-hmm. one of those quarterbacks that thus far has not impressed anybody, better have gotten way better. Yeah. And and, and Will Muschamp isn't really known for that type of offensive turnaround. So um, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I'll see what happens. You know, I'll be watching. But, you know, when you look at these, this set of games here, it's, uh, it's not too encouraging. I will say this, 4-8, and 5-7, and seven, that doesn't – Five and seven wouldn't bother anyone in year one from a game coach. Yeah, five You're and seven. I mean, I'm not saying fine, but I mean, they don't get fired for five and seven but in, mm-hmm. in the situation that he's in. Mm-hmm. But you get fired for 
two and ten. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's... you can't just lay two and ten on. No, no one's floating a two and ten and sticking by their coach. Not the SEC. Not if not their only two victories are Western Carolina and UMass, that's it. <laughs> the villagers will storm the castle. I mean, I'm just telling you flat out that's it. <laughs> They, they got to catch someone slipping. Uh, we all know A&M's capable of inconsistent football. And, by the way, someone is going to be, I think, under a little bit of pressure this year to make stuff work. So maybe maybe they'll, maybe they'll redeem themselves. Maybe that will be an early signature victory from us, champ. But that's about as, as nice as I can be, really. Right. I mean, I think worst-case scenario is what I said, 2-10. and 10. And that would be, you know, like I said, that would be it. And I think mm-hmm. best-case scenario, I mean, 4 isn't impossible, but it would be – I think they should be kind of proud. I mean, it sounds crazy, but if they make it to 4-8, I think they've basically done what they're expected to do. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, I see people throwing out five wins. Um, okay, let's let's talk about a slightly happier story. Um, UCLA and, and Texas A&M are both programs at a semi-crossroads. I mean, Jim Moore is safe as long as his quarterback is safe. I mean, I think that, you know, anything short of a season-ending injury to the chosen Rosen, uh, UCLA is at least an eight-win team and possibly more. Texas A&M has had, uh, how should I put this, uh, has had Housewives of L.A.-style drama in the last wow. several months. I mean, man, you talk about a great training camp inside the whatever kind of thing. I mean, they could have had cameras around that program over the last several months. Woo! The ratings you could get because what hasn't happened at Techmania, I mean, sort of like the stuff that's going on at Baylor, thank God, they have enough that, but almost every yeah. other kind of drama, almost every other kind of drama you can imagine. I mean, at least nothing wildly criminal, but look at their last several guys who've lined up at quarterback. Well, one won the Heisman, you know, and he was somewhat, you know, troubled even then, but Stuff was basically kept under control. Then Kenny, uh, Kenny Trill, you know, um, the, the next living legend, didn't quite yeah, didn't didn't quite plan out his plan. But then they move on from that. They bring in a couple of five stars uh, and let them, you know, sell this as uh, Charles Darwin, I guess, would have intended. And that works out with both of them leaving. You don't see that very often. <laughs> um, and that's what I was saying is like I you know I wish I had known exactly what was going on and, and how you know things deteriorated all they said was they, I think maybe Kyle Allen drew a comparison to you know some of the things Manziel was able to do and as a result that's kind of the culture of the locker room now uh, that can mean a lot of different things considering the things Manziel has been uh, seen doing heard of doing and also arrested for doing so um, I, I don't really you know I don't really know where this program is. Um, just a year ago, it seemed like they were making all the right moves. They hired a defensive coordinator, right from LSU. Uh, now they seem to be left or dead here in the SEC, uh, just in a matter of one season, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, the good news is, you know, obviously it's, you know, spring ball and it's practice, and you, you don't want to put too many eggs in that basket. But mm-hmm. speaking of transfers, uh, and reclamation and, uh, you know, redemption stories. They have all of the above in their current quarterback, obviously a former Oklahoma quarterback who, I don't know, he looked great. I mean, there's no ways around it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw how he looked. In, I mean, he was 
unstoppable in the spring game. Now, admittedly, it's spring, and, you know, you pretty much know what the defense is doing, and the defense is not doing very much. And, you know, all the other things you could say, but he just looked head and shoulders and waist and, I mean, whatever other body parts you want to name above all the other quarterbacks on the roster. I mean, that kid looked like the guy that people were thinking he might be once more. He looked decisive and accurate and athletic, and he's put on 12 pounds of muscle. I mean, just everything you could ask for, you know, poised and leadership and all, I mean, just everything. The whole, all the little check marks were all there. Now, we'll see, you know, if all that holds uh, once the bulls start flying, and hopefully there'll be no more Katy Perry sightings. Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, you never know. Uh, obviously, there is a good, bit of a curse there. Uh, so uh, that, that really caught some steam. But we'll see um, what happens. Like I said, I really think for them, it, it's, uh, it can be about defense for them. You know, they can be – they may have to be uh, that type of team that draws energy from their defense, uh, though they haven't historically done that. Uh, but I am very impressed with their defensive line, I can say that, and how things have been back up for them. Well, they'll get a good chance to try out their ability to get pressure because, as we mentioned, they open versus UCLA, which is a balanced offense. I mean, it's not all passes all the time, but – Clearly, everything flows from the chosen one. If Rosen's having a bad day, they're going to likely lose. I mean, that's sort of a an obvious statement to make. They have a couple of very talented young running backs, including a, a kid. He was like a big, powerful kid, Ojumbo, or I think his name. And they have a bunch of smaller, quicker guys. They have a pretty decent receiving core. There's no one guy you point to say, oh, my God, you know, how do we stop that guy? But they have, once again, sort of like we talked with some other teams, they have a, you know, they have one larger sort of possession-type guy. They have a couple of smaller, quick guys. They have one guy who's kind of a height-speed, height-weight speed guy. They don't have, you know, a Dez or, you know, even a Juju Smith-Suster or whatever. I mean, that one guy you think we've got to stop. But they spread the ball around fairly well. Rosen doesn't seem to be a guy that really has favorites to be thus far in his uh, career. He seems to, you know, just find the open guy. The yeah. test will be two things. Uh, UCLA's offensive line has at times looked good in the past, but they've never been consistent, at least not recently. It seems like they, from week to week, series to series sometimes, even go from looking like a very solid, above-average, you know, top 25-ish kind of offensive line to looking like, some, and sometimes other times looking like, you know, you mentioned Tulane earlier. I mean, instead of looking like Tulane, uh, where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, uh, I hope that, that kid's probably going to be a great engineer one day. So <laughs> you, 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 yeah. you find yourself wondering uh, about, which offensive line is going to show up sometimes. So they'll need to be on the kind of their A game because, well, you know, Miles Garrett and Day-Day will probably be on theirs. This could be sort of a coming out party for Deshaun Hall, who is, you know, the quote-unquote other guy 
But since you're going to be building your entire game plan around trying to slow down Miles Garrett, he could do some of those things that you've seen the other guy do. You know, have him on a two-and-a-half sack, you know, three hurries, you know, two, uh, two other tackle for loss. I mean, kind of thing where you, you know, people start sort of hyping him up, and he's a good player, but sort of, hey, look what he did. Well, that, that should happen when they're sliding everything towards the other guy. But the other question is their secondary. If, I mean, there could be some plays where the ball does leave the quarterback's hands. A&M's secondary has been, they've had talent back there, but they've given up big plays. Last year particularly, they gave up some doozies. I mean, woo, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. why are three guys running free? You know, like, what, how does that happen? How, what what did, did did somebody fall in a manhole cover? So that yeah. they can't have that happen. They can't have guys just running just jailbreaks. Just just I mean, I don't know which game it was. There was a game early last year where I saw a play where literally I mean it was like, okay, which wide open receiver do I want? Uh, <laughs> oh no. That, 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 oh no. They, that can't happen. Uh, it can't happen against UCLA. It can't happen against anybody, really. I mean, they they play a lot of really good offenses. Uh, Tim's going to face some pretty darn good offenses this year. But yep. this is a super important measuring stick game for both teams. For A&M, a team that always talks about national championship pretension, obviously you can't open up with a loss against a team that's thought to be good but not great. Yeah, that would probably be frowned upon. Absolutely. And obviously they play a lot of, you know, really, I mean, it's, it's a pretty tough schedule. Uh, it's not the toughest, but it's tough. Uh, they've got some winnable games, and they've got some not so winnable games. Uh, but, yeah, they've got the UTSA, you know, late in the season. That's a, you know, sturdy little program that's, Climbing the ladder, but is not really ready for them. Uh, South Carolina is a game we've got to put in the win column for them. And obviously, they, you know, Prairie View is, is almost an open date. But once you get past those three games, the rest of them are dogfights. They've got three guaranteed Ws, and everything else is a dogfight. Yep, you're right. You're completely right. Uh, and I think because of that, they absolutely have to go in there and understand that you got to limit your turnovers. Uh, you know, they've kind of been an undisciplined team at times, and I think it kind of came back to haunt them a few times last year. So uh, it's just going to be incredibly important. Um, but like I said before, I, I'm curious to see. It seems like in the SEC, the way everything holds, there's always one coach that, you know, you kind of – and some of them survive it. But there's always a coach that has that dead men walking vibe to him, you know, where it's like, okay, well, what else is going to go wrong? Last year, and, and well, I'll side and admit, last year everyone felt it was Les Miles, you know, and, and he had been a winner at LSU. <laughs> and it was, you know, it's just, and it was he close. Just couldn't be down on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. was close. Yeah. And, 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 and he, uh, he just couldn't beat Alabama, and that's what it was about. He couldn't win SEC, and that's what it was about. And that's how that happened. And he went in last fall, like I said before, 
without his defensive coordinator. Uh, it just really seemed like the odds were stacked against him. They competed yep. and well, yep. but he still wound up just short and almost got fired because of it. Yes, so, he wriggled. Um, he wriggled free of the hangman's noose. I mean, it was the the guillotine missed him so closely that it shaved the top of his head. That's basically what happened, Bill. And and my thing here is. Um, how much rope did it buy him? You know, how much, uh, what's going on now? You know, like uh, another Bama loss and where are they? You know, like, uh, he's he's, he's in the Lloyd Carr zone, Montel. And Michigan eventually got tired of winning nine games every year. Oh, nine games again this year. Oh, we're going to the Tangerine Bowl. Wah, wah, wah. So they got rid of, they got rid of, Boring old nine-win Lloyd, and uh, you know, just some things happened after they got rid of boring old nine-win yeah. Lloyd. They, yeah. they found the excitement, but they, you know, it wasn't quite the same. I don't think LSU. I mean, obviously, they, it's a program that thinks they should play for national championships. That's that's always a dangerous mindset to have because only two teams can play for the national championship, um, <laughs> right? And even the best programs, I mean, the best programs are luck. I mean, you have to be good, but some stuff has to kind of go your way, too. Okay. Things have to happen for you to get there. And yeah. for LSU, obviously, the biggest impediment has been the quarterback position. For whatever reason, God has not blessed them with multi-year solid starting quarterbacks in a long time. No. For whatever reason, no. Um, and, and, despite and, all these loaded classes, they keep bringing in, you know, mm-hmm. struggling mightily. And all the quarterbacks that transfer all over the place nowadays, you keep thinking. I mean, obviously you got Mettenberger, but how do they not get any of these other quarterbacks? I mean, we just talked about Texas A&M. How's that kid not in the LSU? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, LSU can't seem to even attract transfer quarterbacks, with the exception, like I said, of, of Mettenberger. I don't. I'm not sure why, why they don't have whatever. But um, that's an important game for both teams, as you just pointed out. Um, and yeah, A&M, a team that could easily go 500 or could easily go 10 and two. Another one of those teams where, I mean, obviously the Alabama game is super tough and super important. The Ole Miss game is another game that's super tough. And then we just saw the LSU right at the end of the season. They could win all three of those games. I mean. Unlikely, but they could, and they could lose all three of those games. They could lose all three of those games horribly. Like they could lose all three of those games by, you know, 30-something points. Or win them. Probably not by 30-something points, but so they win them. I mean, that's a fascinating, another one of those fascinating programs. And like you said, Kevin Sumlin, despite a fairly high level of success he's had at a place where it's tough to win, not because it's not a good program, but because it used to be the little brother. I mean, let's just be perfectly honest. You know, it was Texas way up here for the longest time, and then, you know, A&M kind of here. And then Baylor, you know, kind of was displacing them as the number two program in Texas and then number one program in Texas at one point. Uh, and then A&M was sort of Texas fell down here, and then Texas A&M went up, but not only up to number one, they moved up to like a two-ish place. And now that might be, I mean, Baylor might drop back off again, but now they're in different conferences. But the point is that A&M has 
long had, I mean, since the Bear Bryant left days, has long had something of a inferiority complex. Let's just be called spade a spade. They've they've yeah. they've looked yeah. at Texas with nothing short of pure envy in their eyes. I mean, whatever you want to call it. It's a fine program. They've had a lot of success. I mean, the the Wrecking Crew era was really, really good. Jackie Sherrill had teams that made it to New Year's year, New Year's uh, uh, bowl games, and you know they had ten, eleven, a couple of ten and eleven game win seasons in there for mixer and for flavor. But it never, they never broke through. At no point have they been the place, the program in the state, and it might. Who knows? It might never happen. But there was a time, part of the Manziel hype and all these, where it felt like, okay, we've got a you know genius, fairly youngish head coach. We've got you know this combination, you know Doug Flutie slash um, you know Joe, Joe Namath hybrid quarterback. We've got. You know, it's starting to finally fall into place. We're getting some better recruits. Texas has kind of fallen off. And then it didn't quite happen. So this is going to be, yeah, I mean, if they go 6-6, six and six, this probably is it for someone. Uh, if they go 7-5, and five, it's probably it for someone. I think the, not that he's not even safe at 8, but that's where it's like the over-under. I think at 9, he's probably safe. But speaking of geniuses, where some of the bloom is off the rose, we've got to talk about Auburn before I forget. Remember when Auburn was the program that was about to knock off Alabama for not just like for one year, but like to displace them in the West? Remember that? Remember those? Good times. Uh, this is it. You know, Malzahn's there. You know, he's kind of got the answer to Alabama's defense. Remember those, those days when people talked about how Malzahn had sobbed Alabama's defense? Remember that? Remember those days? Remember those? Good times. And, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, Auburn, Auburn had some things happen. Obviously, back when he was there as the coordinator and they had, you know, Cameron Travell Newton, that always helps uh, when you have a once-in-a-lifetime talent. And then once he was no longer there, it wasn't quite the same. And uh, they showed that coach the door, so he walked out that door with a nice little parting gift, and, you know, now landed back in Carolina. He's doing a great job as the coordinator, and he'll probably be back in the SEC as a head coach before, well, I mean, one of these guys, he said, one of these dead men may well be replaced by either Kiffin or uh, or the aforementioned Mr. Chivik. But they open up with Clemson. Woo, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. That could be awesome or it could be awful. Uh, this will either be a great game or it'll be one of those things where, like you said, where it's like, oh, this doesn't bode well. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the individual matchups and even coaching matchups, I guess, that you're excited about in that September 3rd Clemson-Auburn game? Uh, well, you did a great job highlighting Auburn and, you know, where they could be to, to turn that franchise – that franchise that program has made. I really think it's uh, it's almost been kind of wildcat-ish when you think about Gus Malzahn's offense and what's happened to it over the years, right? At first, extremely dynamic, extremely productive, sweeping the nation. Unstoppable. 
unstoppable. Um, and then uh, slowly but surely, we're kind of uh, taking a nosedive in terms of production and stuff like that. And I think a big reason is that he did need the uh, dual threat quarterback to run the offense. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm just gonna assume that for reasons uh, we all kind of, <clears throat> we all kind of look forward to. Uh, I forgot the name of the quarterback that started the year for him last year. Uh, immensely fit, but physically gifted guy. Uh, just couldn't cut it, and they wound up going with Sean White, and, and Sean White wasn't very good either. Uh, they need a running quarterback to be able to do what they want to do. And even then, uh, the way they pass in the offense is really short or it's, it's deep, you know. Um, they don't really have a mid-range, uh, you know, uh, in terms of getting chunks of yards through the air. They don't really do that a lot. So uh, it's going to be gonna be something else to see what they do this year. Uh but that's another guy, and and he might be that guy who has kind of like the dead man walk and so on. Because in all seriousness, you're talking about a coach that might not survive the year. Gus Malzahn might not survive the year at Auburn. Um, and I don't think it would shock much of anyone, especially in SEC circles. But if you go to, um, you know, some of the matchups and stuff like that on the field, I really want to see uh, – I really – I can't say one specific matchup is, is – you know, it for me, because I think that they're going to destroy Auburn, so everyone's going to win their matchup. I mean, uh, <laughs> so I, I can't narrow it down, Bill. I do know they have a very talented running back that I love to see. I know Gallman's going to run the ball a lot, and I think they do have one more receiver. I looked at Mike a lot, but, uh, you know, these are things that don't necessarily have to be. Well, this will have to be a much better defensive team for Auburn also. Sort of lost in the shuffle of their offense having lost much of its luster. And two things were revealed. One is when you don't have a Cam Newton and your offense, not that their offense is built in such a way that it can't succeed without a Cam Newton, but it, it isn't the kind of offense that naturally, as you said, creates these huge big plays. It's a power spread sort of wing T-ish offense with a super simplified passing attack. And you realize that when you see the Sean Whites of the world back there, uh, a guy who can't make things happen with his feet, and when you stop the run, you stop the sort of sweepish kind of things they do, and you stop the dive-ish kind of things they do, and then the quarterback isn't a threat, doesn't scare anybody either, so you have to spy him. Now your Mike linebacker is dropping, uh, you're, you're able to – play a nice soft zone, keep stuff in front of you, and you notice, hey, they only have, like, five passing plays. <laughs> like, now you can spot all that. Now you realize, oh, they, they don't do much in the passing game. Their passing offense is kind of, like, youth football-ish. I mean, it's not, I mean, there are high schools that have a much more complex passing attack. I mean, you pick up Jinx High School's pass, you know, offensive playbook, and you look at the passing concepts, they are ahead of Gustavo's passing attack. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be mean. It's actually true. It is an incredibly simple passing offense. And once they can't run the football, you spot that stuff. You realize, oh, this is all they really do. I mean, there's, there's, there's only a handful of things they really do in the passing attack. And that became brutally clear when they sort of hit sort of rock bottom, or how do you put it, uh, as they did last year, where there were games where they 
you know, in the first half would run like for, you know, 14 attempts for 26 yards. <laughs> and yeah. the, now it's like, oh, we have to pass on first, second, and third down. By the third down, you've seen everything practically as they're going to try to do. And you're squatting on stuff. You're hunting. You're no longer, you know, the initiative no longer belongs to them. Now you're like, oh, I, I, you're reading their mail. If you're a halfway intelligent defensive back, you should feast when you're playing Auburn if they can't run the ball. You should have pass breakups, interception. Uh, I mean, you should have all kinds of good stuff because they don't have a lot of ways to to threaten you with, like, you see those, like, cool little things that Patriots do with switch routes and, mm-hmm. you know, all these, you know, things where it looks like this, but then the guy instead, all the option routes, all this, you know, we can turn it into a curl, or if I don't like this, I turn it into a post, or if I don't like, oh, then if, I, if you're there, I turn it into a corner route. They have none of that. Zero that. It's it's all, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all, okay, they have a, like everyone, they have a four verts and three verts concept, and then they have a seam reader concept. They've got, That's just what I was about to say. It's vertical passing game. Yep. That's, they've got some Y stickish kind of stuff they do with their H backs. And uh angle routes, obviously, and stuff like that to screens. Uh wide receiver screens, running back screens. Um they have some sort of post over diggish stuff like everybody has, which they occasionally will tag and convert, you know, well be like a slant dig or they'll turn one into a wheel dig. But that's about it. I pretty much named their passing offense. That's about it. There's not much else. Now, maybe that's changed. Maybe he's gone back in the lab and he's dreamed up some other stuff. So I can't rule that out. But unless and until I see some other stuff, I'm going to assume that you just have to stop the run first. And once teams figure that out, they ignored some of the window dressing and said, okay, here's their running attack. Let's make sure we, especially in the quarter, I mean, obviously if Jeremy Johnson goes back to being the Jeremy Johnson that had some people super, super excited and you know, putting him in their top 25 prospects kind of stuff. And he goes back to being that kind of guy where he's running for 60, 70 yards. It doesn't be 100, but 60, 70 yards and passing for 280. Okay, now, you know, <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, but yeah, Bill, and, with, and that's, that's what I was yeah. saying is I don't, I don't know what it is he wasn't doing. Uh, you know, college football is, you know, it's a very fast season and, I don't know how he fell out of grace at Auburn, but certainly, um, even if he doesn't have the greatest game, him being on the field with his capability makes their offense look better. Um, because to me, once Sean White came in, I mean, like you, you knew he wasn't running for 70 yards. You knew it. Maybe they were going to call some plays and try to get him to, you know, threaten you, you know, with some read option. But, no. but no. he wasn't. For that kid to run for 70 yards in a college football game, it would take three or four players on the other team having an aneurysm or a stroke or something. <laughs> exactly. So so that was, that's my thing is I don't know how it happened, but to me the door should be open for a quarterback, and I hope it is. Right. Um, okay, so and once again, they're secondary. Now, Montrevis Adams, like I said, he needs to be an absolute monster. He's going to put on his Miles Garrett pants or whatever because he needs to be an unstoppable killing machine because they don't – they have a good defense. They don't have a lot of star – it's not a star-studded defense. not their defense of – that's the other thing. Like, so people forget is how good that defense was during their championship year. That was a defense that had 
two or three NFL types at every level of the defense. They had a couple of really good linebackers. They had Nick Fairley. They had uh, a couple of guys who were collecting game check in the NFL in their secondary. Unless, once again, you know, we'll see. They have some guys, I mean, they have Ford and they have uh, Montrevious. They've got some spur-ish linebackers who, you know, can run, but I like, I'll see if they can stop the run. But, yeah, obviously with, with, with Clemson, uh, Artavis Scott is going to be a problem for somebody. Mike Williams is going to cause trouble. Uh, yep. You've got Deion Kane. Here, you're looking for a, a name, an emerging guy to watch out for, a guy who hasn't played much, but I think he's going to begin to assert himself in their offense. Watch out for wide receiver Deion Kane. Um, you mentioned Gallman already. And, uh, of course, as a young man in the secondary, he probably will, will be a, a, uh, a reserve, a kid from Valor Christian, where he played with some other NFL sons, but they have a young kid named Brian Dawkins Jr., one of those feel-old moments uh, <laughs> on their team. But, um, but yeah, here's something that killed me. Seeking, I mean, babyface assassin Hunter Renfro, former option quarterback in high school who just ate, just ate people. I mean, this guy looks like, I mean, he literally looks like a member of the equipment management staff, but he just was uncoverable at times. When they go four wide with Renfro in, in the slot, in one slot, Tavis Scott in the other slot, and I guess I can go with, I guess it will probably be Williams and Kane at the at the uh, Y and Z. That's just trouble. And Jordan Leggett, you know, on the field somewhere, somehow. That's a yeah. lot to deal with. Yeah. And if you mentioned Goldman's a good running back, Adam Choice is quietly one of the better running backs and probably one of the better second-string running backs in all of college football. Uh, second maybe only to Johnny Jefferson at uh, Baylor. Codriot mm-hmm. Tankersley is, in my mind, as good or better than any of the corners they had on the roster last year that people sort of fell in love with. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod is pretty darn good, but doesn't see the field much. Another one of their really good wide receivers just can't get playing time because they're so stupid deep at that position. Um They'll have to replace, obviously, a lot of talent on defense. So that's the one thing that gives you hope <clears throat> is they're going to have a lot of work to do to continue to stay, you know, one of the better defenses in the, in the, in the conference. We'll see if that is, continues to be the case. But they can outscore people if they have to. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Mitch Hyatt versus Montrevis Adams is one of the individual matchups I'll be watching because Mitch Hyatt's the guy that, is just a sophomore, a true sophomore. But there are people who think he's a future, uh, uh, oh, uh, gosh. I was drafted in the first by the Titans a couple of years ago from Michigan. Um, um, yeah. You know the tackle I'm thinking of. Uh, Tyler, oh, gosh. Michigan? Yeah. Yes, the Michi- the, 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 that, that plays for the Titans, um, athletic. Oh, Taylor Lewan. Yeah. Hey, right, Lewan, Lewan, thank you. Yeah, Taylor Lewan, not Tyler. Okay. Some people think Mitch Hyatt could get to that in terms of his 
his capabilities someday down the road. And this will be a great test for him individually. Uh, he is one of the best sophomore tackles, maybe the best sophomore tackle in the country, so he's one of the best. And like I said, he'll be tested early and often in this game. If he can hold up, and that's, you know, obviously so many people are asking, asking themselves, but if he, if he ends up having a great game against Montrevious, well, one, that means they will have won. But also, you know, he'll be uh, going to next year in a lot of people's, you know, first-round projections. Um, let's see. Any other sort of individual matchups I'm excited about? Well, obviously, like I said, as a whole, the whole secondary of, of Auburn will need to, you know, have its big boy pants on. As I said, uh, this will, they'll need to have a very good day at the office because uh, there's a team that, I mean, it's interestingly, these are two offenses that to the untrained eye would, have seen, would seem to be very similar. But the differences is in the variety of route concepts. That's where there's this big divergence between these two offenses. They're both up-tempo. They both use a lot of motion and shifting to disguise very similar play concepts. They both like to run – well, obviously, they both use a lot of zone run concepts. Uh, they both love to have mobile quarterbacks who can throw on the run and throw from the pocket as well. But, you know, give you that threat. But like I said, the, where diver, the divergence is route concepts. The, the Clemson wide receivers know so much more and are trusted so much more to do so many more things than the – look at how Auburn receivers have done in the last 20 years in the NFL. Well, I mean, maybe 20 – well, I'm going to the last, like, stud. I mean, Aroma Shadu and Ben Obamano had decent NFL careers. Um, Ricardo Lewis, obviously, you know, jury's still out. Sammy Coates will sort of get his his chance I now. Think, yeah, I was about to say, I think he's got about as good a chance to be, as, as, you know, better than most of those guys. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's some guys that have just hung around. Um, some not even that. Right, and, and obviously, you know, some of these guys are from earlier administrations, but the the way the offense is run, the, the things that they, they ask of their receivers, I mean, they ask them to block, you know, <laughs> they ask them to do that. But, I mean, in terms of passing concepts, they don't ask them to read the defense. They don't ask them to adjust things on the fly. They, they pretty much tell them what they're going to do. Go do this. But, yes, Chris Frost uh, versus Dahlman, I guess, to some extent, will be sort of a semi. I mean, I guess what they like is for Chris Frost to not be on Wayne Dahlman. Uh, they'd like, I guess, for one of their pulling guards or somebody to kind of wipe him out. But Auburn would like Chris Frost to be meeting Wayne Gallman early and often before he can build up a full head of steam. And Montrevious Adams is, is listed as a tackle. And, you know, wearing number one, which always makes, you know, makes big guys look faster and slimmer. Uh, but they move him around, and they need to. Uh, they have to because, you know, if they don't, you know, where <laughs> then they, you can just identify him and to some extent neutralize him. Now, here's the good news for Albert. The future looks somewhat bright. They have a couple of terrific young guys uh, who are true freshmen. Woody Barrett is a terrific true freshman quarterback. Nate Craig Myers is a terrific – I mean, uh, I'm trying to do a comparison for him. 
he could end up being Allen Robinson before it's all said and done. So he's a terrific talent. Uh, but those are guys who are sort of, sort of for the future. Uh, Byron Cowart is another guy who's just a sophomore who was another one of those highly touted five-star recruits. They'll need him to actually do some stuff this year. Uh, yeah, they need a lot of things to happen. But if they can somehow win this game, it changes everything. Uh, because one is, I think there's a guy, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but Auburn seemed to be kind of mentally fragile last year. When things started to go bad, they went really bad. You know, <laughs> like they, you see this team kind of pull out. You, when things started to roll downhill, things began to roll more downhill. <laughs> you know, once, once things began to slip away, they just slipped away harder and faster. Yep. And they'll need to prove that that's not their, you know, that's not who they are anymore because they they can't afford that. They're going to need to, they will have to uh, show up. And here's the last one I'll throw out there is Carl Lawson, another guy that we've been hearing about, it seems like, for, you know, eight years, though he's just just 22 years old. <laughs> but uh, we've been, it seems like we've been hearing about him forever. This is this must be the year uh, that they need him because once again now this gives them you know the inside outside situation with with he and Montrevious Adams if both those guys can play at a high level simultaneously now you create a bind for teams in terms of how they you know how they they work their protection. Uh, let's see. Let's check a few more. So. And I'll, I'll, I'll so I don't want to do like all SEC, but there's at least one more SEC Week One matchup, and you might have guessed the one I'm thinking of that I think you you can't not mention, or it'd be difficult not to mention. I'd say really can't. Um, I would say it's it'd be difficult not to. Uh, sure, uh, of course. What Bill's talking about uh, for those that are listening is. The uh, the Appalachian State Tennessee game, right? Yeah. There you yeah. go. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no. Um, I mean, uh, we touched on it earlier, but is this more for UCLA and Well, we talked about that one. Um, there's one other one I we had. And it's not as well. Maybe I shouldn't say it's not as obvious. I'll just walk okay. walk through a few things. So. There are uh, there are programs in the SEC that we sort of pencil in at certain places. We know where they're going to be. There are some that are more volatile, right? Mississippi State's volatile. They could be amazing, right? They could be a 10-win team or 11-win team, or they could go 6-6. Six and six. And then there's teams that are – we can sort of pencil in. I mean, you know, we've sort of – I don't want to pick on South Carolina anymore, but both of us have agreed that – you know, it's it's pop bottles time if they get to somehow get to six and six, which I don't see as even being humanly possible. I think five and seven at least means hearty man manly handshakes. And four and eight, you should still sort of nod approvingly, like, yeah, okay, you know, hey. But yeah. there's at least yeah. one there's at least one program that keeps well, at least a couple of years has been trying to announce itself, right? This is our Hey, don't, don't be so quick to assume that so and so is going to win the you know the West. We're we're here and we're not going anyplace or whatever. You know we're we're back or we never left or whatever. However you want to put it. And uh, 
Georgia got rid of a really successful, really well-known, I mean, once again, the Lloyd Carr thing we talked about, oh, nine and three again. Um, and then, of course, you know, they decided to, quote, unquote, get smart. Uh, they bring in Saban's right-hand man, thereby sort of weakening your enemy, you know, sort of a, a multiple benefit move. But they open against a, I think, a tricky Carol. Now, it is, you know, a quote-unquote neutral site at the Georgia Dome. At the Georgia Dome. Okay, Bill. <laughs> well, I mean, it's listed all, if you look on their schedule, it says neutral site game right there on the schedule. I think, yeah, right. I, I, right. I think it's as laughable as you think it's laughable, but it just cracks me up. Oh, it's a neutral site game. That's 40 minutes drive from the campus. Well, it was like 140. That's exactly But it's a couple hours drive. But still, it's a very makeable drive. Yeah. It's a little it's a little tougher commute for the kids from Chapel Hill. But that's a sneaky, scary game uh, for a couple of reasons. Once again, Georgia has – Georgia used to be one of those teams where we knew we could count on them to have solid quarterback play. Well, the running back thing is held up. Uh, they still have that. And to be really, really great up front on defense and probably solid throughout their defense, but probably have great line play. And we can assume some of those things are still true, but not all of them. Now, they do have, you know, once again, and Jacob Eason, we keep hearing this is, you know, he's going to be the best quarterback in the SEC at some point. But he's 18. And there is a movement, obviously, fan base, as you might have guessed, for him to start right away, to be the, the day one starter. I College football coaches are, by their very nature, conservative human beings, Montel. Uh, not all, but most. I will be not shocked, but surprised if he's the day one immediate starter. I, I, will, I will not have seen that coming. Though he is by far the most talented quarterback on their roster with, I mean, lots of room to spare. We'll see. But they, they have a not a quarterback controversy. They have a quarterback timeline, I think is what I would say. I think yeah. that they would like to ease into the starting role at some point, but I don't think it'll be week one. And then Carolina also replacing a quarterback, but Mitch Trubinsky in limited duty has looked really good. Now, obviously, it's usually been sort of mop-up, clean-up. I mean, we haven't seen him you know, start a game against a good team yet. This will be enormously important for him. Now, I see people out there predicting that Georgia's going to romp in this game, and I just, I don't see that. I do not think this is going to be a romp. I don't think this is going to be a cruise control, easy victory, win by four touchdowns kind of thing, though I see some people out there predicting that. I think it's probably a 10-point game, and I think Georgia's going to get a scare. And I wouldn't be shocked if they lost this game, though I think they will win it. I mean, it is essentially a home game, and they do have a lot of talent. But it could also be Mr. Trubisky's coming out party. Uh, he could come out and just put on a wow performance. If he does, you heard it here first, I will not be surprised at all. I think he's extremely talented. I think they have a lot of – they lost a lot of players from last year's team. They bring back some pretty darn good ones. Matt Collins, I think, is about to become a legitimate number one receiver, and people will start talking about him, you know, not as a top-of-the-draft guy, but he'll be talked about as a middle-of-the-draft guy. 
who, I mean, I don't see how different he is from Rashad Perryman, who somehow people turn into a first-rounder. Um, he's a big kid with tremendous speed. He was a football walk-on who was recruited to Carolina for track, and he's got legitimate track speed. He was a special teams stalwart for a couple of years, and back to him, especially captain, before finally cracking the uh, the wide receiver rotation. And his partner in crime, Ryan Switzer, our Sweezy, uh, he is, you know, is he, is he your classic future Patriot slot receiver? Yes. Yes, he is. And he embraces it. He is truly that guy. He is tough as nails, runs those option routes to perfection, doesn't mind if you try to basically poleaxe him. He gets up every time, great hands. And here's the thing that, he, that's, that you, people kind of sleep on. He's really good at the catch. If you if he's got a little crack, he'll go. He will. He's faster than you think. Don't let the you know the vanilla coating fool you. There's some. He's got some get up and go. I'm just saying. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, people. Ryan Switzer can run. Uh, so that's yeah. a game that I, I I feel like. I mean, I want to use the term trap game because I guess you know week one you can't fall into a trap week one. I would hope, but. I think they were sleeping on this Carolina program, which I think is still going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the note on uh, note on Georgia, yeah, I don't know what they've got going on. I know they got Grayson Lambert there. And uh, I'll say this, if, uh, if Nick Saban rubbed off on Kirby Smart in an offensive <laughs> way, he probably won't be starting as a freshman. Uh, we can right. be at Jacob exactly. But Jacob Easton is the best quarterback on that roster. Oh, I think close. you nailed it. And, and it's not close. And that's what I was saying. I mean, you had a similar conversation because we talk about coach, we talk about timelines. You know, as a coach, you don't really know how much time you have, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> we drew a comparison last year in the East just about a year and a half ago. We were talking about, you know, they, uh, at Tennessee, Butch Jones wanted to do the right thing to start senior Worley, I think uh, name was. But, yes, uh, yes, he did. You're right, Justin Worley. There's exactly. another blast from the past. Remember the yeah. Justin Worley era? Yeah, very brief. And I knew that, <laughs> but yes, it was an era. And we were saying, wow, you know, they were starting this guy. And they said, oh, well, you know, we'll just have the luxury of starting a better quarterback next year, you know, Joshua Dobbs. When, in all honesty, you don't, you know, unless you're a top-tier program. Uh, you can't just give the senior the job to the senior. Uh, you need to start who's best and work with them uh, because you don't know how many years you got left. So. And there's another game that I have circled, and I think it's going to be a fascinating game, quite frankly. And one where I'll be honest, I've gone back and forth about who I think is going to win it is Missouri-West Virginia. Uh, two teams that, first of all, it's still weird. Uh, they sh- one team should be in the Big 12, but it's the wrong team. And one team Maybe one of these, maybe these are switch conference, but whatever. Um, nonetheless, uh, Missouri, for some reason, the SEC, and for some odd reason, Western is in the Big 12, but it's okay. I'm, I'm dealing with it. But this sort of weird intersectional rivalry, well, it's not a rivalry, but game, this sort of interesting intersectional, intersectional game between two teams with a few similarities and some also pretty large differences in certain areas as well. 
Missouri has traditionally been a team that, once again, you know, quarterbacks who can scramble around, big, fast wide receivers, and a good running game, good enough that you can let those big, fast wide receivers, you know, get sucked up off play action. You can hit them over the top. And then on defense, you know, pass rush. Just, you know, scalded dogs, just screaming up fields, playing run on the way to the quarterback. And that's how he's built, until very recently, a lot of successful teams. Now, they have their have a new coach. They have a new – a bunch of things, actually. A lot of things have changed. Uh, Missouri is no longer sort of the same same old Missouri. Uh, they, they've lost a lot of their uh, sort of bulwarks, you might even say, of what that team was built on. Now, the good news is they still bring back some good defensive talent. But when you look at Missouri, especially early in the season, what are things will you be looking for? And then we'll talk a little about West Virginia. Sure. Yeah, when we talk about uh, Missouri, I think there's a few things that you got to know. Now, to my knowledge, uh, they officially uh, have their uh, newer coach, right, because I know the, the last one stepped down. To... You said, what well, say it again? Missouri's, Missouri's longtime coach, I know he stepped down for the health concerns, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he had uh, some fairly serious health issues. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he announced – in fact, he – announced before the last game of the regular season that he would not be returning. And Coach was it Coach Odom, I'm not sure who it was, that was briefly an interim coach before they um, brought in their, their uh, new full-time coach. But, yeah, Missouri has there been – obviously, you uh, may have heard there's been some other eventful things on their campus. Uh, Missouri became a flashpoint, for lack of a way of putting it, for the power, I guess you might say, of, of collegiate athletes. I mean, a lot's happened uh, recently. <laughs> Missouri's yeah. football program. It's been, it's been, it hasn't been dull. It has not been dull for them. So, yes, a lot has happened in the last five months in the life of Missouri football. Uh, from bringing in a new yeah. coach to a, you know, uh, not mutiny, but, I mean, the football team essentially forced out the president. You don't see that every day. <laughs> you know, that's that's an unusual turn of events. When, I mean, there were protests, but until the football team got involved, it wasn't a national story. Once the football team became involved, it was a national story, and eventually, like I said, brought down uh, the president. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was special what they did because, a lot of times you'll see times in athletics where your team is going to uh, – your players are more concerned about what's going on on the field and they try not to get involved. But uh, the reality is they're already involved, you know, because of skin color. So it's just a matter of whether you yep. acknowledge it, and they did. So I think that was important what they did. And um, like I said, you know, it's unfortunate that they lost uh, Gary Pinkle to the health concerns. But Yeah. And uh, now they got to move forward with Drew Locke as a quarterback. I don't know what happened with Matty Mock. He fell out of grace. Uh, oh, I know what happened to him. Well, some of it, I mean, he was doing a full-on – his admiration of Johnny Manziel got out of control. He did a full-on Manziel thing, but but accelerated at, in pace. And he is now battling for the job at East, Eastern Kentucky, where he and Benny Coney are, are like, from here, I'm hearing, neck and neck for the uh, – 
job at Eastern Kentucky University. You know, Eastern Kentucky has become sort of like a uh, halfway house for downtrodden football players coming down from big-time FBS programs. Yeah, and I was just about to say that that's definitely going to be a, a humbling experience, I think. so. Uh, but I think for them, uh, you know, their new coach, is going to be about talent development because this is kind of a, a rebuilding year for them. Uh, I think right now they've got different players uh, that I think could be very talented. I was looking at uh, just the other day, they're still – First off, they're still looking at a new athletic director. I don't, I don't know what the deal is going to be there. But um, as far as what's on the field, I, I like, I like Drew Lock. I like some of the things he yeah. can do. Yeah. Uh, offensively, for a guy that was thrown in there, I, I think he had a firm grasp of the offense right away. It seemed like mentally he was with it, and you don't always see that from backups at the college level. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a very young staff also. Michael Agnew, right? Guess what? He's a graduate assistant. Brody Eldridge, offensive graduate assistant. Uh, Chris Odom, the son of Coach Barry Odom, is on the staff. Mm-hmm. Josh Heupel is their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. I mean, these are guys I remember playing recently. Ryan Walters, remember him? Um, he's their co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Greg Brown, remember him? He was playing, it seems like, just yesterday, cornerbacks coach. Jackie Ship is probably the oldest or one of the oldest of their assistants. I still remember him as a player. Um, JoJo Finley, tight ends coach, a guy I remember. Joey Hazel, remember Joey Hazel, who at one point uh, was competing with Sam Bradford for the starting job at, at Oklahoma, and then eventually transferred and played wide receiver for a minute at uh, Central Michigan or someplace. I can't remember now. But he's on the staff. Austin Carter Samuels. Yes, that Austin Carter Samuels. Um, is his on-campus recruiting coordinator. Like, this is one of the youngest staffs in all of college football. The guys I just named, I don't think a single one of the guys is 30. I don't think I know none of them are 30. Those are guys that are like 26, 27, 24, 23, 25. Crazy young. A lot of 20-somethings on that staff. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of turnover there. And I think that's part of what's going to make it interesting, but... Uh, you know, I'll say this. I'll look at the schedule. I really think that Middle Tennessee State game might be the – that might be one you don't want to sleep on. You know, they better show up for that one. Um, I also think uh, – I don't know if you brought them up, but one move that people might be interested in, in or one player, uh, rather, is Joe Burkett, who's uh, – Joey Burkett's finally getting, like, a starting role in place at Kentrell Brothers now, you know. Control the right. draft this, this spring. Uh, I think he brings some good things to the table, and to me, uh, Burger's another guy who uh, who can play. You know, uh, uh, who can cover. Uh, he's quick. He's not quite like Brothers in the sense that I don't know what type of downhill force Burger can be, but he's quick. He's a little thin, I think, but well, not thin. He's just light for a linebacker because if you look at him, he's muscle. He looks good, but he's kind of has a. Uh, I don't know if he's 220, you know. So <laughs> There's um, a lot of that going around these days. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a new thing or, you know. but It is. Uh, it is a new thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, a smart thing, I guess, what I should have been saying. But <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, personally, I like him. I like his skill set. But uh, they usually like linebackers that can play up the middle and bring some some. And I don't know if Burke is that type of guy, but 
uh, I think in time, he can still be very productive. Yeah, the the world is now full, well, filling um, slowly but surely with, you know, linebackers, spur, whatever you want to call them, who weigh somewhere between 199 and 217 pounds. If you just look through, and I've looked through pretty much every single FBS roster, and a bunch of FCS rosters as well, and I'm seeing guys who, or some of them are, you know, younger guys, especially the sophomores, but so they might get a little bigger. But it's getting harder and harder to find 245, 250-pound linebackers. Those guys are, you know, pretty darn scarce on most teams' rosters. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we'll see where it goes. Um, to me, 230, you got to be 230. Like, God, I mean, I'm just, I don't know, though. I'm behind the times. <laughs> Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. That's all we'll just say. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, I can remember, you know, watching Tommy Nobis in college at Texas. And, you know, he was right at the tail end of guys who – these are guys who had been recruited sometimes to play two ways, and then they sort of transitioned away from two-way football around that time. But he was, a you know, a guy that played some center early in his collegiate career. Buckus was a – made all Big Ten as a center. Uh, before he, you know, sort of transitioned to just playing uh, linebacker. So these were guys that were, yeah, 245, 250 pounds, which isn't huge, you know, for an offensive lineman, but it's a pretty good-sized linebacker. And, you know, there were times when you would see, you know, 220-pound linebackers in the, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s. But, you know, they weren't all of them. You know, you'd have a couple of those guys, but it wouldn't be most of your linebacking core. You know, that would be a guy. You had, hey, well, Greg Lloyd's a little undersized, but man, can he hit, or man, can he go? They'd make up for it somehow. Well, yeah, he's small, but now there's guys who are just small. Like, there's nothing else special about them. They're just small. Uh, They don't make up for it some special way. They aren't amazing in coverage. They're just little. Like, I can sort of forgive an undersized linebacker if he's got some truly special part of the skill set that differentiates them where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know. And, of course, the, the watchword is always Deion Buchanan. The problem is most of these guys are not even half of what Deion Buchanan was. It's, I don't think people realize how special Deion Buchanan is. That's part of the issue. Yeah, and everyone thinks they got the next one, and I'm really upset that it's happening like this, and People don't realize how rough an athlete you have to have, uh, the right situation you have to be in, and the experience you have to have, you know, being there to be good. You know, you can't just take a safety, make him a linebacker, work it out for one year with him being moderately productive and say, boom, it's over. I got it. You know, like, he's, we're there. No, like, maybe have him do that successfully for two years or, God forbid, a third season. But, um you you really want to see a work in college before you just tell people to do everything as a pro. Um, I'm speaking out of concern because over in Michigan they're trying to do the same thing with Jabril Preppers. I know they put on oh, weight. that's right. Uh, I, I don't know where he's going to weigh in at. Uh, I first heard back in 200, 211 pounds is the last thing I heard. That's what I was about to say. I think maybe 205 was what I heard, but I've heard he should at least be. I just heard he put on weight, so I'm hoping that that means he's at least 220. Regardless, I think he's a great defensive back, and he should play defensive back, you know. Um, I don't know <laughs> how big the role will be with him doing what he's doing, but I just got to ask why, you know. Why do we have to do this, you know. I know they're, 
they're lacking playmakers over at Michigan, no disrespect, but, you know, they're still rebuilding that program, you know. I don't see a need to do it, and I don't, I don't know why you have to do that. The, there's this desire to not have to substitute. I mean, that's, that's the honest. That's what it comes back to. Coaches trying to be slick. Let's just be, let's call a spade a spade once again. Coach is trying to be slick. See, now we're always in, we can be nickel and base at the same time because he can drop over the slot and cover slot receivers and running backs. He can cover tight ends. Or we can have him line up over here and stop the run. Or it's, and so it's this attempt. But, but yeah, there's this. Yes, that's what it is. It's that okay. Offenses are going up tempo, and they're making us, you know, make our linebackers look bad because they're making them cover 181 pound dudes who, you know, with six six recone times or just make it look stupid. And so now we're going to have this guy who's basically a defensive back on the field. And, you know, as long as they don't suddenly run a power play, you know, with uh, a 250-pounder trying to smash his brains, then we're fine. And how many teams do that anymore? How many teams even have a fullback on their roster? So I understand it. I even appreciate what they're trying to accomplish. The issue is when somebody does have the ability to lower the boom on you in the running game, it's going to hurt. Yep, and uh, and and they're going to have a ball. You know, uh, you're going to have to pack that uh, behind a scrimmage with with either a lot of skinnier dudes or a lot of the big dudes you have, and you're not going to be ready to do what you're supposed to do with that that type of personnel. And that's uh, the kind of pass, you know, because you got it once back towards line of scrimmage because, you know, it's hard to fill the gap in the world. Yeah, so that's – yeah, I agree. That's an interesting uh, situation. And, you know, I wish Jabril Huffers all the best. I hope that they don't, you know, ruin him. Well, not ruin, but you know what I mean. I hope that's, uh, that's, that's too strong a word, I guess. But I hope he, he's given up to show people what he really is, like I put it, as opposed to being – you know, the round peg shoved with a square hole, which sub teams will do. And once again, I know it's their job is to win college games, not to prepare guys for the NFL. He's not going to be an NFL linebacker, obviously. Uh, well, moving on. Um, I'll try to get to a couple more games. Another game that was of great interest to me personally, and I think probably to the nation as a whole, or at least to some extent, the football nation. And Week one is, you know, chock full of, of things that intrigue. I mean, Southern Miss, Kentucky is interesting. We'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about it some other time. <laughs> uh, but I will be very interested, quite frankly, to see what happens with the Ole Miss-Florida State game. Because as, you know, has been mentioned, Ole Miss is another team that has been loudly proclaiming that there's a new sheriff in town in the SEC West. And at times they've beaten the powerhouses, in, or at least one of them, Sometimes two of them, but never all of them. <laughs> they, yep. they, they, you know, they'll, they might beat Mississippi State, and they might beat Alabama even, but then they'll lose to LSU, or they might beat, you know, they'll lose to Arkansas, they'll lose to somebody. You know, so mm-hmm. 
they do have, as you said, and this sounds funny saying it, but the most stable quarterback situation in the conference. That's one of those sobering thoughts. It's one of those when you sit down, you pour yourself a glass, you think, wow. Huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, how did we get here? You know, like this, <laughs> what, what what is my life? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I see people put this at second team All American. It's like, wait, wait, come on, let's not get out of control here. Like, let's. I understand that he's had good games. He's gotten hot. You know, he's had hot streaks, and he's looked good at times, and he's got a certain level of talent. But yeah, that's not. You know, come on, come on. Like, where would he be on Baylor's depth chart? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, would he, would he be third? You know, where would he fall? Let's, let's not go crazy. Let's not start tossing this guy second team all America. No, come on. Yeah. But in his defense, in his defense, he is a greatly improved quarterback in every way from the guy I first saw, who was hard to watch. Yeah. That first one, <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Um, you're right. He, he did figure it out, but that first uh, month or so was, was quite rough. Was, uh, I mean, not quite Dave-esque, but not no. far from it. I mean, it wasn't way better. I mean, I found myself tweeting during a couple of their games, like, Bo Wallace is not walking through that door, Ole Miss. So, I mean, if I if I if I'm there, <laughs> you you got some trouble, some some very you know trouble ahead at the quarterback position, um, and, and that's what it was. I think up until maybe I want to say maybe the Florida game, just after might have been uh, a turning point. I think they played like an FCS team, kind of got it together and, and turned it around, but it, it was rough going. Yes, it was that's a good way to put it. It was rough going. <laughs> to his credit. Like I said, you know, he's definitely a nominee for the uh, Yates Crompton Award that I give out to most improved. But most improved doesn't mean that you're awesome. Most improved just means you have the farthest, you know, the most room for improvement, and that's what he once was. He he was a guy that once had the greatest possible room for improvement, and he, to his credit, improved. And he deserves to be recognized for that improvement. So I'm, you know, tip of the cap. He is a much better quarterback than he was. He doesn't wildly overthrow little swing routes to running backs anymore. He doesn't make his you know, uh, receivers on little screen routes have to chop their feet and readjust and gear down and things like I mean, those things that – that's the thing. These things don't count against your completion percent. You know, you completed that pass but you took what would have been a 10-yard gain and turned into a two-yard gain. So now yep. he now he executes those things. And once again, we're talking about a passing offense. I mean, it's not as simplistic as Auburn's, but it's not, you know, not what Carson Palmer was operating his days in Norm Schaub's offense at USC. Let's put it that way. Uh, there's a lot of what I call binary football in there. Um, in their offense, where one of two things will happen, and you'll know very quickly which one it's going to be. I'll put it that way. They'll, they'll, it's, a lot of it's pretty uh, determined ahead of time. And that's not really a bad thing. I mean, that, once again, you, 
when you're going, especially when you're trying to go super, super fast, frankly, you don't have a lot of time to, hey, maybe we can get such and such. We notice that so-and-so is starting to creep up here. We're going to try to sugar this a little way. Then you look him off and, yay, that's not time for all that sometimes. You just say, hey, look, throw this to this guy. If he's not there, take off. <laughs> yep. and, I'm, yep. and that's the way a lot of teams work, their offense nowadays. Yeah, and I've gotten used uh, to it. <laughs> you know, a lot of pre-snap stuff. Uh, it's yep. not even, you know, don't think, you know, don't think. <laughs> they don't want any type of complex thought passing through a quarterback's mind. And and that's kind of uh, a bad thing, but it, it can help them be productive at the college level. They, they, they try to simplify it so much to where the thinking is done for them. You can look in space one, space two, throw it to space three, or throw it away. You know, that's not actually diagnosed and look. But, hey, when you get to the NFL, though, you, you'll know it, right? Okay, cool. You know. Right. And when you combine that with, you know, the, you know, the play cards where you look over and, you know, well, there's, you know, uh, Mariah Carey's Christmas album album cover, and then, oh, look, there's the new, you know, BMW uh, you know, 500 series car, and then over here you see, you know, uh, a Slinky, and then over there in that corner there's Garfield. So, yep. you know, that so, that so now you're not even, like, calling stuff off a wristband or whatever. You're looking. Everyone's looking. Like, oh, it's just you, the quarterback. Like, oh, he looks over. Oh. So now everybody's got the play. Then talk to them at all. You know, you, no conversation. Look, go, look, go, look, go. So as you said, yes, you've taken, you know, not the thinking out of it, Monta. You've taken the talking out of it. You don't have to talk. <laughs> hey, look yeah. at Garfield. Oh, well, I know what I'm what route I'm running. <laughs> yeah, and you wonder, <laughs> you know, like, Mentally, what it's doing, and it's it's scary. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it because I don't see too much like it. Um, I just know that when you do it, um, well, first off, it's a wonder that quarterbacks still fail in these new systems, right? There's still guys <laughs> that aren't very good. Um, yeah. And there's still receivers, right, that are still looking at the ground like, hmm, okay, so what's Garfield mean? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's as simple as Garfield, but some of them don't even understand Garfield. <laughs> Uh, right. So I'm scared for the world in that sense that it's that easy and people still don't get it. Um, but in some cases it's that easy and it really works and it, it leads to a lot of a lot of yards and points and that's cool. Uh, it's just that you have a stronger learning curve. Like what we're seeing is uh, the NFL drafts might be getting more and more, you know, raw. You know, like there are some players yeah. last year where, you know, you're the most NBA draft level raw where it's like, okay, um, a couple of years, you know, and this guy will get it, you know. Like, uh, say the Super Bowl was waiting for Andrew Wiggins to put it all together. He's a gifted athlete, and maybe this will be the breakout year. I think some of the guys in this year's draft is kind of the same thing, um, even at the quarterback position. So. Yeah, well, I mean, to some extent, especially at the quarterback position. Um, you know, if you if you think about the way that, if you don't have to talk to your team on 50% of the play, like, think about that. Half the play, sometimes over half plays, you don't have to say anything except till you actually are giving the cadence to snap the football. 
Yeah, everybody, like I said, you know, everybody, you get them over the ball. You say whatever you're going to say then. But they, yeah. you know, and then you run the play. There's no conversation again until they get them over the ball again. There's no need to, you know, coach them up or whatever. Yeah, we're just going. So the quarterback, I'd say, is the most affected um, by what we're talking about. Yeah. Because now yeah. they don't have to look at me half the time. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, let me agree with you real quick also, what you said about the, the Western Michigan game. One is it could be a shootout. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. of the two teams, the Western Michigan team is slightly more equipped to win a shootout, quite frankly. That's Northwestern just is, my point. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they, so they are I, not going to pound it out. Right. I mean, I see people, you know, sort of penciling in Northwestern as, you know, like a nine-point uh, favorite, and I'm like, mm, I might take that action. But um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, what's the payout? <laughs> I mean, I and I say this, of course, as a person who obviously roots for Northwestern. My sister went there. It's the closest Big Ten team to me, and I love to see them succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, uh, hats off to Denny Green, former Northwestern coach who uh, unfortunately uh, died too too soon. But I remember Northwestern and Denny and Francis P. In fact, they were the first Big Ten school to hire a black coach, and then they were the second Big Ten school to hire a black coach. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they they are they, they well done, uh, Northwestern, in terms of those two accomplishments. Uh, though that was, at least in terms of Francis P., that's what all they accomplished was they managed to get to the second one. But um, the last one I want to make sure I talk about is Oklahoma-Ohio uh, State. That is a fascinating game in every way. Uh, we talked about constantly dissatisfied fan bases. I, I don't know if you have friends who are Oklahoma fans. I do, um, and I talk to them on a reasonably regular basis. And one or two of them are perfectly reasonable individuals who are fully in touch with reality. But that's not most Oklahoma fans, Montel. These people are spitting mad. They are spitting mad. They are utterly and completely convinced that they should be playing for the national championship pretty much every year. They will forgive the occasional down year, you know, where you just win nine or ten games. But they are – now, part of it is that Stoops had so much early success. You look at his early career, and it's Urban Meyer-esque. Look at the winning percentage the first few years. It's stupid. It's like 92, 3 or something. It's some crazy number. And then he cooled off. Now he's like at a, you know, 50, 85% winning percentage. But it's still not exactly anything to be ashamed of. But there's – it's not a rumbling exactly. But these people are not as satisfied as they should be, quite frankly, Montel. Uh, absolutely not. And, you know, I, I get it. Oklahoma believes they, you know, they, they got a shot to do it, right, for a Big 12 team to get in there to play Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Uh, take the type of beating they took also is uh, something that, you know, I find remarkable. You know, Bill, they schedule these games in advance, to my knowledge, but I swear it's like uh, they always catch the right two teams at the right time. And this is one of those uh, examples because, you know me. I mean, I get it. I know how it works. Uh, Ohio State lost. The uh, Badner lost. I get it. Uh, but you can't convince me Urban Meyer is going to lose it, lose by 20 points at a neutral site. And if you can, I'd ask you when the last time it happened, and I can't recall. 
<laughs> so, so um, you know, uh, the wound is still raw, as you can know, Bill. But, hey, I, I think that when they play them, it's going to be personal because of that very thing. Ohio State wanted uh-huh. to play in the national title game. They wanted to play. They want. They they wanted a chance to go at Saban. Uh, and I I know for Urban, you know, he, he's calmed down a little bit, but he wanted it, you know. And the fact that Oklahoma took that opportunity and, and didn't quite take advantage of it against Clemson, and then Clemson couldn't beat them either. Uh, I, I think it burns his biscuits a little bit when he finds out Bama won another title uh, when he knows he can beat him in and, and his in his heart of hearts. Uh, but this game's going to be personal. I mean, it might be kind of nasty. I think the good news is that it's not week one, so the adrenaline might not run, you know, super, super high. But uh, I would be I would be shocked if this one yeah, – I know it's going to be in Oklahoma. Right. But so I, I you've think got, Ohio, you've got Ohio State, State coming off mm-hmm. of Bowling Green, the sturdy, tough Bowling Green Falcons, who will probably, you know, hang around for – all through the first quarter and halfway through the second quarter, and then, you know, start to slip away. And then Tulsa has Dane Evans and Keevon Lucas, which will be a good test for their secondary Ohio State, but not much else. And then, obviously, they will be geared up. Uh, so that's my birthday. So that will be quite the little present for me. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Oklahoma taking <laughs> on Ohio State. I, I, I wasn't going to mention this game at first, but I just couldn't stop myself. Uh, I was going to try to stick to week one, but I just couldn't couldn't keep it in. This is perhaps my favorite game um, <laughs> of the season, of these of the regular season, practically. So many interesting storylines. The two Youngstown yeah. boys, right? Right? Yeah. Here we got these guys have known each other since they were, I don't know, eight? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Young, really, really young. Because I believe Urban used to go to the camps that were run by the Stoops' father uh, at, was it Archbishop? Oh, God, Malloy? Whatever Archbishop it was, high school, uh, where the senior Stoops was a legend. But, yes, I mean, these guys have known each other essentially for 40 years or so. (laughs) Most of their lives they've known each other. And have and coach some of them coach with each other at some point. I think I think one of the Stoops brothers coached with Urban when he was at might have been Bowling Green or maybe it was Utah. I can't remember, but they've known each other for a long time. That's what that's really what the hell that was about. They know each other quite well, and Urban is clearly in a situation where I mean, not to say that he's untouched touchable because, you know, Ohio State's also filled with rabid, crazy, crazy people and, you know, two bad seasons and everything will be very different. But mm-hmm. right now, you know, he's riding pretty high. And for whatever reason, there's a sense that the Oklahoma fans are almost looking for an excuse to be mad at Bob Stoops, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think it's, you know, it's bitterness. Uh, they've always had very high expectations. Ironically, last year, I think they've come the closest to meeting them. Um, so, yes. yeah. And I think there's so, a little bit of bitterness there. Also, that, that week one Houston game, you know, Oklahoma, oh, I can give it to them. But oh, actually, might, let's yeah. spend a little more time on that. 
we talked about dual threat quarterbacks. Here's what, what Auburn could use, or uh, what's the other program we're talking about? Um, uh, somebody else we're talking about. But, I mean, <laughs> Greg Ward, who I'm going to be honest, I was thinking, you know, that's interesting. I'm going to play Greg Ward at quarterback, you know. Beaver <laughs> like, here and a little while, a wildcat quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Some people were wondering. Well, Greg Ward has officially shut my mouth. Uh, he has Blake Sims did up beyond the Blake Sims level. Uh, he's played a few brilliant games, frankly, at quarterback, and it's a lot of solid ones. I I didn't see this coming. I'm not going to pretend I did. I I thought that at some point Greg Ward was going to hand the job back to a quote-unquote real quarterback, but that has not happened. Yeah, it absolutely hasn't. And uh, I don't know. One thing I can say is in the games uh, he's played, you're absolutely right. He was brilliant. A couple things that you are curious about, and, you know, and the guy who's in the state of his career he is, is A, does he know what's going on mentally? B, is he getting the ball there? And he's been very accurate. Um, and he's also cut down on turnovers. He's been uh, very intelligent with the football and, and, that, and the type of offense they have, too. They, they, it's been very helpful. Yeah, he's turned himself into a not poor man's Vernon Adams, but a working class man's Vernon Adams in essence. Mm-hmm. Now it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think the NFL still sees him as a slot receiver, unless you know something happens dramatically this year, like he you know really balls out. But as a QB, but he's an interesting player and a difficult player to defend because he is probably a low four five guy, and he can throw the ball both on the run and from the pocket. And then his accuracy has improved. His processing time has gone down. He's, he sees the field or feels the field. <laughs> Maybe it is better than, much better than he used to. I mean, I don't know how well he can really see because he's probably 5'9 and 3 quarters, but he, yeah. he's become a top-tier college quarterback. Like I said, and I'm as surprised to say that as anybody. I didn't, didn't think it would happen. I really thought he was a stopgap. When the corn flamed out, and that you know the next year they'd bring in somebody else, and that somebody else would win the job. But like I said, it did not happen. They have good running backs, also uh, quiet as they just kept at Houston. They have they've done a great job of recruiting well, everything. Uh, Coach Herman, speaking of you know we talked about Urban Meyer, uh, fruit of the Urban Meyer tree to some extent. He his recruiting philosophy is very similar to Urban Meyer's. Get a bunch of guys who can run and then mix in enough big guys that you don't get pushed around. I mean, it's, it sounds simple. <laughs> it's harder to do it than that, but it helps it when you're in Texas because Texas has both. Mm-hmm. They've got huge people and fast people, and some who are both huge and fast because Texas is just ludicrously talent-rich. And Houston, the, I mean, and when you add to the fact that guys like Ed Oliver are starting to stay home, if they can get one guy like that each every year from now on, they're going to they're going to end up in a different conference. What's going to happen if they keep doing that? The Big 12 will be sniffing around them momentarily if they keep that up because they do want to at some point be the Big 12 again. And so that would mean adding more teams. And I'm I'm going to go out on a not very not very long limb and say that one of those teams that I think in the next couple of years is going to get a feeler if they haven't already gotten one from the Big 12 is going to be used to if they continue 
you know, to grow that program at this pace. And it's beyond that, you know, they have, like I said, they have, they have good team speed on both sides of the ball at every level. So that alone gives you a chance. But Oklahoma's not exactly lacking in the area. Of, I mean, both teams have, have guys that run. Oklahoma lost a few more guys to uh, graduation or early declaration, uh, as it may have been in some cases. They lost Sanchez, they lost Tapper. Uh, they, they lost a few guys, but they have some pretty good guys waiting in the wings at most of those positions. Uh, they do bring back, of course, Baker Mayfield, who is uh, another guy that will spark some interesting debate. I know some people who absolutely love Baker Mayfield. I know some people who think he's basically a more well-behaved version of Johnny Manziel. Uh, I think he's sort of – I think he's a great college quarterback. And, you know, he's a great story. I mean, the guy's a double walk-on. You don't see that very often. The guy who's walking yeah. on at two different schools. And won the job both times. That's a that may be a singular accomplishment. In fact, I have to go back and check at least at the FBS level if anyone's ever walked on at two FBS schools and won the job each time he walked on. Yeah, that's a form of trivia question. That that's going to be a thing. Um, people are going to be asking for a while. Um, phenomenal story. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, a guy that was largely overlooked, at least by the big programs. I mean, he did have offers. Some of those guys had zero offers. He had offers. They just weren't from the schools from which he thought he deserved to have offers. And so he ended up walking on at Texas Tech, uh, you know, beats out two other more established guys, uh, one of whom is still playing. Davis Webb is still out there. But uh, he's a mobile guy with a strange how to put it. His mechanics are unconventional. But Effective for the most part. I've never seen a guy his size throw as many good passes with one or both feet off the ground as yeah. I've seen him. I, I see, I mean, yeah. He's like a middle infielder. It's like watching a middle yeah. infielder is what it's like, Logic. He must have yeah. tremendous core strength, though, because he still managed to get good sip on some of these balls. Yeah, you know, and it's partly what they teach, right, you know, drive through it, roll your hips, and, you know, he's he's getting some torque on the ball. I can say that. I don't know how he's doing it with the mechanics being the way they are. But um, I think part of it, too, is, you know, that Cincinnati offensive line really gave him some trouble at times, you know. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 didn't, they didn't block all that well. Um, and they had a guard that struggled mightily at times. So that might be something to watch out for, too. And, you know, I don't know who graduated, who didn't, but do they mature as a unit uh, this year, too? But yeah, I I'll be interested to see how this whole thing plays out for Oklahoma. I think that they are probably I think that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are both really good teams this year. Uh with Similar strengths, quite frankly, uh, and also similar weaknesses. I think the better running team should be Oklahoma. It just comes down to how much they want to be a running team 
I think if Oklahoma decides to be a really good running team, they could be a very good running team. This comes down to that being a priority, I guess. <laughs> because when they've decided to commit to the run, they've hurt some people, you know? I mean, uh, it frustrates me sometimes how often they don't flatten people in the run game because they can do it when they put their minds to it. Yeah, they, they, you know, they definitely could. They definitely could. And I think it's been, wow. Um, I really think it's been a, uh, due to coaching, the mindset, the system they run, uh, it, it's definitely conducive to that type of stuff. And if you're another team, I think that's why you definitely got to be watching, preparing, and you got to be alert because, uh, I mean, that defense has always, you know, not always been nasty, but it's pretty, pretty well pronounced. <laughs> pretty well pronounced. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good, well-coached, fairly deep defense with, like every other year, three or four pro-talent-type guys on it. In Samaj P. Ryan, they have a guy who's capable of going for 2,000 yards. I mean, you know, the kinds of numbers that Fournette puts up, Perrine's capable of those numbers if his team – you know, would let him for the way of putting it. And uh, admittedly, that kind of football is sort of, you know, throwbackish, but can still be extremely effective if you commit to it. You know, if this kid were, you know, going to Alabama, he'd, he'd be putting up some oh. crazy numbers. Oh, yeah. So I wonder, you know, how, how that'll play out. And then, of course, the other thing is if Mayfield is a, you know, a guy that many people are penciling in as a, a, a Heisman Trophy finalist, which he might be. I mean, he plays on a truly big-time program that's on TV a lot, and he's a dram- player who has a sense of drama. You know, he creates either intentionally or sometimes unintentionally, but... <laughs> I mean, it's good, but, but either way, I mean, he's the kind of guy that voters can fall in love quite easily. Great, like he said, it's a great story. He's kind of a underdogish, you know, kind of thing. He's got some flutie to him. He's got some Manziel to him, both of them were Heisman Trophy winners. So those sort of undersized, super moxie, you know, <laughs> those kind of guys grab the imaginations of voters. Yeah, and, and and that's something you know that you're gonna see too is that a lot of teams, uh, or I'm sorry, a lot of you know the media, the press, they rally around guys like Baker Mayfield, and you know he can be annoying at times, but you know he did have a stretch. He played some great football. There were some times where he said, okay, maybe this guy's a little limited based on some of the throws and some of the plays he made. But there were some other plays that that did surprise you and that did shock you. Uh, my question here is, you know. Uh, Going into year two, I think now we really get to see, you know, the scouting report's already out. You know, they've already charted this guy. They know what he likes to do. They know who plays he likes to run, and they know what's scrambling him. So uh, with teams having a full season full season of tape on you, uh, what, what's that mean for a guy like a Baker Mayfield? Can he diversify his game? Can he maybe run some more routine plays uh, on a regular basis to see? But uh, I think this will be a challenging year. Uh, but the good news is, regardless of what he does, I think Oklahoma should be fine for most of the year. They have a fantastic rushing attack. Just said it before with P. Ryan. They also have Joe Mixon. Uh, it's a, a great one to punch. 
Yeah, I, I think the the sooner schooner uh will will certainly have some opportunities to uh you know to rampage a little in some some of the games. As you said, the Houston game is a very sneaky, scary game. Um, and then they get sort of a, you know, no offense, sort of a let up against ULM. We talked about the Ohio State matchup where, I'll be honest, JT Barrett, this will be one of those real, the story of both quarterbacks to some extent will be decided, I think, in that game. If JT Barrett walks away from that game as a superior quarterback, one is that puts an end to the Baker Mayfield uh, Heisman thing. But but also, I mean, people keep talking about J.T. Barrett not looking like the same guy ever since, right? Well, ever since, you know, J.T. looks – I mean, I, I, I knew some people who were very much on the J.T. Barrett as a future NFL starter. I don't want to bandwagon, but it's, you have a hard time finding any of those people now. Well, you know, I'm not hiding. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not running away. I remember the other quarterback was Cardell Jones. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to back away from it. I still maintain that, uh, I mean, this is, of course, how Chris Ash was the offensive coordinator, uh, that he had control of that offense uh, just a few weeks. I mean, it took him a few weeks to get it. You know, there was a tough loss, I uh, believe, against Virginia Tech. Uh, but um, right. By week five, you know, I remember, you know, when you guys, he gets it. Uh, he had the offense. He was confident. He was throwing with poise. He was reading. And uh, he was playing fast. And I think uh, this past year in the new system, uh, both quarterbacks struggled heavily. I would say uh, JT seemed very hesitant. Uh, he wasn't playing as fast, and he was doing a whole lot more running uh, from a guy who can be an accomplished passer. We've seen make some great throws and throw accurately. So, hopefully – this year, same system, repetition, makes it slows the game down for him. But I think he's going to be all right. I really do. I think he's going to be good. And I think that offense itself has been retooled. You're going to see an entirely new look uh, past the players that, that left last year I anticipated on the roster this year. So I don't know who the heroes and who the biggest weapons will be, but um, I think Barrett will be able to work with him. I think it will be a good show. Good luck. Right? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I'm not putting him in the Heisman combo, though. We'll see. Okay. But I think he'll right. be a more than capable starter next year. Sure. Yeah, so that's that'll be interesting to me to see how that, that particular game, and there's lots of other interesting games, but that particular game to me is enormously important uh, for both teams. The more I think about it, the more I think it will be filled with, uh, you know, filled with meaning, filled with, uh, filled with lots of things, quite frankly. Uh, so we'll see, you know. And I guess the last one. Uh, we, we sort of hit upon it. We didn't really t- analyze it. So Coach Saban, has been, you know, drawn out of his, um, you know, his normally, well, maybe it's not him, but the program has been drawn out of its normally super conservative approach to the early season. And though it should be a game they should win probably by 17 points, 
it's still the kind of game where something could go wrong, you know, <laughs> which is not the kind of thing that Saban likes. He doesn't like something can go wrong games early in the season. He likes nothing can go wrong games early in the season when, when given his choice. But nonetheless, the Cowboy Classic, as it has been dubbed, uh, will feature USC and Alabama. USC is breaking in also, another team breaking in a new quarterback, Max Brown, who I'm actually super excited to see. A uh, kid from Seattle, another, you know, another one of the uh, – they've done a good job of recruiting the Seattle area. Uh, Four-star, big arm, big kid, drew some comparisons to Carson Palmer when he first came to the program, has – some would say waited his term. Others, some would say underachieved. I guess it depends on how you want to uh, describe the situation. But be that as it may, he finally gets his chance. And I think the offense is going to look a little bit more like what we think of when we think of USC's offense. So they'll still have some spread-ish elements. His, one, lack of mobility, and but more importantly, his size and arm and things like that. Well, you'll be able to sort of go back to the future in terms of some of the things that USC used to do, you can really push the ball down the field with a guy like Max Brown. Yep. And he's not really, you know, built for read option. I mean, that's not really his not really his thing. So, I mean, they won't completely get rid of some of that stuff, I guess, but you will soon see, I think you will soon see some of his strengths as well as a few of his weaknesses. Now, the the issue, of course, is that Alabama does more things better in their defense than maybe any other defense. In the, there are other defenses that are as good, but they don't do as many things. Their combination of complexity and execution is that you don't see that anyplace else. Nobody else has that. LSU close-ish. Um, TCU, close-ish, but they don't have quite the same level of talent. Uh But the ability to do as many different things as they do at the level they do them is singular. It's Alabama that can do that year in, year out, and nobody else can really, really can. Yeah, and, and, you know, and and part of that, you know, you have Saban, who's been working with Kirby Smart, and, uh, you know, not last year, but I think the year before, um, when they had Ruben Foster and Reggie Ragland and they were guys who people didn't really know of yet, that 2014 season was one of the best defensive coaching up uh, jobs that I've ever seen. You know, like they had really a really young team and they were competing for a uh, title just about. So, um, you know, you fast forward to the last year, you saw a lot of that progression, um, you know, through development, obviously on the field and in the training room. I think this year he's going to do the same thing. Uh, that's why people say Alabama doesn't need to rebuild. Some people have come here ready to play uh, already as an athlete. And it's just a matter of them understanding what's going on on the on the, uh, the telestrator or the uh, the big screen, if you will. And there's, there's a lot of talent on both. I mean, if you're an NFL scout, you're at this game. <laughs> There's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, from, you know, obvious names like Juju Smith-Schuster and um, Chad Wheeler and, you know, Dory Jackson. There's a bunch of dudes uh, who can play. 
yeah. all over the place in this game. Just bunches and bunches of dudes who can play. So the secondary of, I mean, they're going to get tested. The secondary of Alabama will get tested. Uh, they're going to try to reduce the number of times they get tested, obviously based on trying to keep, you know, keep the quarterback uncomfortable. But one of the best young running backs in the country also, Ronald Jones, plays for USC. He is almost Chris Johnson-esque in his ability to not just accelerate but re-accelerate like he has that second and then a third gear. Most running backs, especially the really good ones, have a great first and a great second gear. Then you have the Tony Dorsett's and Chris Johnson's and, you know, O.J. Simpson and Adrian Peterson and uh, Dickerson. Yep. There's not too many others, though. I mean, you know, most guys don't get you don't get the third gear. Most guys don't get to run that far that fast. <laughs> like, it's very rare that David Gear even really kicks into come into play. But those guys have it. And he can really, I mean, you just see him pull away from people in the open field in a way that is probably humiliating, I'm guessing. Um, Cameron Smith is going to be a very important player for USC. Uh, Quentin Powell. I mean, they have a lot of sort of, you just talked about it. You lamented it to some extent. There's a lot of miniature linebacker, big safety types that litter the field. They're going to have a few of them on the field. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Now, the problem is that Alabama can run the football downhill at you. So at times they're going to jump into like a five-man line, like a five sort of D linemen or people who are like D linemen. I mean, some of those guys are 245 pounds, but D linemen-ish people with two linebackers who will probably be undersized-ish, 210, 215-pound people, and then four traditional, quote-unquote, defensive backs. Now, if those five bigger people, 300-something to 245-pound people, the five of them can somehow stop the run consistently without any help from anybody in the secondary, and your linebackers, your two linebackers can, you know, basically sort of buzz the flats and cover like corollary and try to take away that hole over the middle. And then, you know, you've got your four quote-unquote normal secondary players doing normal secondary player things, if each one of those people can do that at a high enough level that you don't have to help anybody, they can stay in this game. The problem is that's probably not the case. Um, They probably will get pushed around pretty severely uh, in that front seven area. So that's that's really, I mean, it's, it's sort of boring to say, but, you know, which one of these teams is going to be more physical at running the ball or stopping the ball? It's it's not a sexy way to to describe who's going to win and why, but it's the most <laughs> accurate way. Unfortunately, it'd be nice if there was some more fun, sexy stuff. That's it. No, who's going to run the football better? Who's going to stop the run better? Obviously, they have a guy who knows a fair number of the players. Uh, even though it's been a couple of years since Kipman's been there, there's still a fair number of those guys that he recruited. He knows their strengths and weaknesses fairly well. Not that Alabama needs any special inside information. But never hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, we, this will be our first time seeing a lot of the 
players that will be getting the ball in the running game for Alabama. I mean, they have some guys who've, who've played some, but for the most part, there'll be some newer faces. Uh, they bring back a fair number of their targets, as I mentioned before. Uh, Stephen Mitchell, Juju Smith-Schuster. I think Adore Jackson's finally a full-time defensive back now, though who knows, they might still sort of stick him in the occasional special package situation, but he'll be asked most likely to take away Alabama's top receiver, which, you know, he probably will do most of the time, but only takes one or two lapses to, you know, give up a big play. Uh, let's see. So, yes, to me, the offensive line, you know, how how do uh, how does Max Wheeler, how does some of the other offensive linemen for uh, Chad Wheeler, I mean, how do some of the offensive linemen for USC, do they get movement? Do they keep their quarterback clean? And if they can do those things, now it brings you to the next question. Can they, on defense, do the same thing? Can they get pressure and not get pounded away at constantly by the running attack? Uh, who are some of the particular players or matchups you're excited about in the, the Alabama-USC game? Uh, I think you highlighted it well earlier. You talked about the receivers matching up against Alabama secondary. Uh, you know, you know this year they got, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick, Tony Brown. Uh, I really want to see, you know, can these guys take the next step in their progression? Are they going to be able to come in? They got a transfer. Uh, I think he was a corner. They have a senior transfer guy who he played a nickelback in their spring game. I got him before his name, but he's actually pretty good. And so my question is, I'm really hoping that moving forward, they uh, they have a plan for the secondary because we've seen them get kind of exposed at times. Last year, not a whole lot uh, because I think up front we had some things. But the year before, a lot. Last year, towards the end, maybe a little bit uh, – or towards the end, maybe really not at all. But early on, it seems like some people really get these Alabama corners. Uh, so I'm really hoping that they kind of shut it down, or at least I like to see it. Uh, this is going to be uh, not a close game anyway. Uh, I think you highlighted Max Brown, and I got to agree, too. This is not really – I mean, when you think about how he wants a career to begin, um, <laughs> it's not really not at home and not against Alabama. You know, that's that's not really what you plan for it to be. Uh, but So I'm curious to see what type of uh, workload Clay Helton's going to give this guy. You know, they're going to try to run it a little bit, take some pressure off of him. I do know that USC's defense will not be – uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to stand with Alabama's defense for very long, so they're going to have to put up some points, whatever they do. So if they run the ball, they obviously have to be productive. So I do want to see awfully what they can do, what their running back can do uh, against that Bama defense, uh, if anything. And then I want to see what type of workload Max Brown will get. Um, we don't really know yet. Yeah, the I think the assumption a lot of people have is that the pass rush from Alabama – you know, with Ryan, um, I mean, this, they have a bunch of dudes. Um, Jonathan Allen and, you know, as always, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to deal with all of that. <clears throat> if somehow they can hold up against that, uh, which is a big if, uh, yeah. then they might have some chance to do some work down the field. I mean, you know, we like I said, all the talk about making Fitzpatrick, but we just talked about how, you know, that kid, Taylor Renfro, a, you know, walk-on uh, option quarterback uh, at Clemson just pretty much ate that kid. I mean, he he just gave him nightmares. 
Yeah. You know, it's sort of funny. You just, you know, this one star recruit. <laughs> Uh, it's just, yeah, you know, whatever. But um, he's not—he's not going to be facing some, you know, some slight, slightly more. I mean, he's probably gotten better also since then. We should—we can assume, but it's—we'll have to see basically how their their pass rush. If their pass rush gets home, frankly, nothing else will matter to some extent. I mean, we're still, uh, you know, the, oh well, okay, well, if the pass rush is getting home, then you know, why why are we having this conversation? Because nothing else can happen for you if they pass rush is knocking your quarterback around, which yep. is why establishing a run game is really everything. Um, let's see. What else to look for? Um, but, yeah, like I said, they if they can keep Max Brown clean-ish, <laughs> you know, that, that will be yeah. Ideal. a lot. That'll mean a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Ideal, and it'll mean a lot. It'll mean that they, like I said, they can hang around the game. They, they won't be quickly shown the door. You know, they'll be able to stick around for a while. Uh, if they aren't, if he's, you know, every time he drops back, there's, you know, people diving at him and swatting at him and knocking him down. You know, like you know, like I said, it'll be over very quickly. Okay, here's another last game. I promise for all this time. This is a game that fascinates me. Um, Georgia Tech and Boston College. Now, Boston College is known as – this is where people have – first of all, hats off to you having reasonable expectations Boston College. You know what you are. You don't go around firing coaches for no damn reason. So, good on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 A refreshing a, – a breath of fresh air in a world of insanity. And then Georgia Tech is in a slightly more different situation because there is some grumbling and a sense that, you know, they've caught on, that the world has caught up to uh, to Paul Johnson's offense. This is a super important year for Georgia Tech. Well, first off, it's funny. You said they finally caught on to the Paul Johnson offense. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, the triple option. I mean, it never really did. It never really did. It'll always be there'll always be someone that'll run it. Um, yep. It's just a matter of the personnel you run it with. Really, that'll be the successful, uh, you know, trade. Uh, you know, the type of recruits you get to block along that line and the type of running backs you get the ball to. But yeah, this will be special. Both teams have found their struggles on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Coach Diazio with uh, Boston College, he's had a very challenging season because they couldn't really get anything started on the offensive side of the football. They could not put up points on an offense, and they wasted a lot of excellent defensive effort as a result. Yep. Uh, they had two quarterbacks that they were running out there back and forth. I think one of them, I think one of them might have been related to Doug Flutie. It's someone's son of a quarterback that was there was already starting. They, they, they have a Flutie on the roster. I think it's actually. His nephew, I think it's Darren's son. I'd have to double check to be sure, but yeah, they do have a Flutie on the roster. Yeah, and, yeah, they do, and they have another quarterback that they couldn't quite. Uh, they, they tried to play him, tried to do some different things, and both quarterbacks are miserable. Like seriously, like both. I don't know what to tell you. And they have a really good running back, and they have a oh, really yeah. good line. Would <laughs> mm-hmm. say most years, frankly, about Boston College that they usually have. At least one really good linebacker and one really good running back. 
And it'll be interesting to see, one, how much they can be in games enough they can keep running the football. That's the issue, unfortunately, with Boston College, is that once they get into a situation where they are forced to throw the football, it's almost like, at that point, the game is lost. They do not have the ability, or have not recently at least had the ability, to throw the ball consistently nor well enough to win games just doing that. Exactly. Exactly. After that, that they seem to struggle to find dynamic playmakers to whom to throw the football. I'm trying to remember the last time they had a really dynamic, you know, wide receiver. Um, it has been a while. <laughs> um, I'm struggling to think of a Boston College receiver who has really been a super dangerous threat to make a big play. So we combine iffy quarterback play with, let's just say, pedestrian receiver play. That's not a great combination. No. Not for a second. And frankly, Adazio doesn't want to win throwing the football. I mean, he won't turn down a win that comes to throwing the football. That's not how you build this team. That's not in his mind to do. So, two things will have to happen to Boston. One is they will have to Troy Flutie is now playing, yeah, so Troy is playing um, and yeah, yeah, Darren's son. Is, that was uh, the thing. He's playing, yeah, yeah. playing receiver for them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was correct about that. But, yeah, um, they will need uh, to get some early leads, quite frankly. Um, they, they, they are a team that, frankly, needs to play with, I mean, they need to be almost spotted 10 points every game uh, in order to do what they like to do. The issue wow. is that they can't always they can't always arrange to be spotted ten points. That would be the problem. But you know, last year, I mean, <laughs> they can't they have very reasonable expectations. They can't have another three win season. I mean that that can't happen. Even the very reasonable and uh, you know, properly patient fans at Boston College, I don't think will continue to be with back-to-back three-win season. That, my friend, is a dog that simply refuses, either cannot or will not hunt. Uh, they did bring in a bunch of players, though, uh, some of them coming in via uh, being recruits and then a good number of graduate transfers. Um, Anthony Brown is a guy that may see the field sooner rather than later amongst the quarterbacks they have on on Chestnut Hill. Uh, Darius Wade. Uh, they have a lot of sort of guys uh, who might see the field. Uh, John Padouli, uh Darius Wade. I mean, a lot of Jeff Smith, a lot of guys who are sort of... Yeah, Jeff Smith, too. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, Jeff Smith, too. That that was the guy. Flutie and Smith were the quarterbacks I saw the most for them last year. And and both of them weren't very good. And, and now that you think about it, now I'm looking. And, yeah, you're right. They had, I think, four or five quarterbacks attempt to pass, and I didn't even know about half these guys. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think they really know what they were doing. They're just like, okay, well, you know, this dude's not, you know, they're trying to ride the hot hand, except no one has the hot hand. Uh, but, yeah, right. <laughs> they, dude, they couldn't find a lukewarm hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the the hands were cold as death for the most part last year. So yep. somebody needs to they need somebody who just has a hand. You know they'll they'll take they'll take what they can get. So exactly. the assumption is that they will be better. <laughs> the quarterback the assumption is the quarterback will be better uh, with the base largely on the fact that they just don't believe it can get much worse. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm here for that, sure. Uh, it might not get worse because the situation they're at now is extremely rough. So, yeah, that's some optimism that uh, I don't want to take away from. So, They lost Don Brown, uh, who's now Michigan's key coordinator, but they still should be good on defense. They've got some things to, to hammer out, though. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that is true. I would be interested to see how this season turns out, but like I said, especially see how that first game turns out. There are certain programs, where I really think the first game of the season, I mean, you know, it's just one game, but I think for certain teams, it really matters. Getting off to a great start really matters for some programs. And there are programs that can, I think, bounce back from a bad opening to the season, but Frankly, I don't think Boston College is one of them. I think they need to get off to a good start. Yeah, and I think they do too because, uh, you know, last year they started out kind of good and then gradually throughout the year it seemed like things kind of eroded. You know, initially last year they were able to hold you um, defense, which, you know, would shut you down and they could get a couple field goals, you know, by themselves a few points. Now it's going to be tough. They opened up against Georgia Tech and uh, I think they have a nice little – you know, in-state thing going on against UMass in week two that they can probably win out. But uh, actually, they get a number of kind of convenient non-conference games here. Uh, UMass, Buffalo, and I think this is Wagner. So they, they, they'll they be able to, you know, they they got a nice non-conference schedule. That's all I can really say. And uh, they can just find a way to, you know, inch out a few against UConn and Wake oh, yeah. Forest. Regardless well, I, of how good this offense is, you know, they, they, they can be easily a seven-win team with their schedule. Um, and, and seven wins, I think, yeah. is sort of the point at which everyone says, okay, yes, they, you know, last year was a blip. We're okay. And I, think, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Coach Adazio is saying that that's the goal, but I'm sure he isn't. But I think somewhere deep in his mind, not that he would be satisfied exactly, but I think he would be, I think he would, like I said, it would signal to everyone internally and externally around that program that, okay, we're okay. That was just a, that, that wasn't, that was, yeah, that was just a thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing is that they get a chance to do this. And this isn't one of those conferences where you, you know, you lose an off-conference game and you got trouble ahead. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to be very competitive this year. I mean, other than, you know, obviously 
when they play at Tallahassee against the against the Seminoles, it's home against Clemson. Uh, they should be competitive in every game they play this year. Right, right. I mean, they've only got two games where they have absolutely no shot. Mm-hmm. Other than those two games, they should be, as you said, right there in the midst in every other game they play. And then they've got three imminently winnable games that you know, noted. So if they can win all three of the three, I don't say gimmies, but, you know, <laughs> games that they certainly should win, and, yeah, find, find four more games. And I think they're probably capable of that. So I think Coach Adazio is probably going to be fine. You know, he's not 100% safe yet, but I think that this is the year that will, you know, I think this year will be good enough <laughs> that it will quiet any any doubts that people had. And I do think he's the right man for the job, so to speak. I agree, uh, and, and I, don't, yeah. I never had any doubt. I never had any doubt. Uh, were there any others that you wanted to to hit on before we close this uh, this app? Any other games uh, no. that were sort of in the back of your mind? Okay. Uh, tell oh, people no. tell people where they can find and follow your work and what you've been up to, sir. Uh, of course. So you can find and follow my work at ngscsports.com. Uh, you can just click on, uh, I guess, the NCAA tab now. We've kind of graduated from that the draft central tab. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Montel NFL, at M-O-N-T-E-L, capital NFL. Uh, as far as what I've been working on, I've been doing some, uh, you know, just kind of looking at each conference, uh, marking out a few prospects that I need to keep my eye on heading into the fall. I've also uh, just finished a piece uh, this past week on Bears running back Jordan Howard. I think I shared it earlier in the week. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a fun piece. Yeah, um, and, and so how he's adjusting to being fair and all that stuff that comes with the NFL life, uh, that was a good piece. And so, yeah, just looking forward to the fall, and uh, the tape grind is starting soon. Yes, indeed. And uh, very good stuff on, on Jordan Howard, and he's a guy that has, I mean, I hate to start comparing people to Matt Forte, particularly so soon after Matt Forte having left. But if you just look at the package of skill talent, it's everything selling in place. He could do a lot of the same type of thing. Not to say he's the same player, but he could possibly become a guy who could do, you know, be a three-down back, a guy who can catch the ball, protect the quarterback, uh, you know, carry the ball both between the tackles and have enough speed to, to turn the edge. Those are things that he can all do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's good at it. Really good at it. Absolutely. Uh, and I think one thing that's underrated about him is the fact that, uh, A, work ethic, stop notch, and B, uh, he, he just loves football. Uh, you know, I've roasted John Fox some of his personnel decisions, but uh, he gets guys that it really does mean everything to him. Some of the things, uh, you know, I was able to discuss with Howard, it just kind of shows how positive he was. Uh, briefly, he was one of the one of the players, you know, at UAB who had to find in the school, you know, when they shut down right. uh, their program for a year. Um, he talked to me a little bit about that. You know, it, it was a rough time. So, uh, but, yeah, absolutely. High-character guy, and I hope he does uh, 
earn a strong workload as a pair. I, I really don't see them finishing lower than second on their depth chart, uh, even though they have five running backs now. Yep, a lot of running backs. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I will watch with great interest, and I hope that, you know, he is getting a, a good share of the workload, and I, you know, I, I frankly like him as much or more than any other running back we have on the roster, so, in, you know, I'm hoping he gets a very large share of that workload. I'm working on getting my all-under appreciation all, all uh, emerging team, Hopefully, done very, very soon. So I'll go back to plowing away on that as soon as we're done with this, in fact. Uh, also, let uh, your friend, Mr. Zimmer, know. I'd, I'd love to, I know he's been super busy. I'd love to have him on to talk about uh, FCS, D2, and particularly the Missouri Valley and Big Sky, where there's good doings afoot. Um, I truly believe that both those conferences will be imminently involved, as they often are, in who ends up winning the FCS and the CAA will have something to say about it as well, I'm sure. But those, there's a lot of really good players. Uh, we had Carter Schultz uh, from UNI on earlier in the year, and he's, that kid's really good. Um, he's a really, really, really smart, tough, productive, athletic, not sneakily athletic. He is, he's a better athlete, I think, than people realize. I think he's going to test well. I think he's a strong kid with, you know, maybe not amazing straight line speed, but quickness and probably a little more speed than people might get. Agreed. So, and uh, yeah. I, I can't wait to see how it goes. I agree. Yeah. Uh, of course, Illinois State will be in the mix. Um, so all of the Montana, Montanas and Various Dakotas. I mean, obviously, North Dakota State isn't going anyplace, and probably, you know, for the foreseeable future, never will go anyplace. They will continue to be good because, you know, they've built. I mean, people talk about Alabama, but the most consistently dominant program in all of college football right now, and really for the past, I mean, you have to go back a ways to come even close to what they've done at any level of football. They're just special. That's a special thing they've built. It. In DSU, and you know, it's like I said, it's not going anywhere. That they're going to be, I'm not going to go so far as to predict they're going to win it again, but they'll be in the mix. I'm certain of that. Absolutely, you know, and, so. and that's uh, that, that's what years of uh, tradition, hard work, recruiting. I mean, especially on the FCS side of things, that gives them a very, very wide range of guys they can work with and get. They've drawn a lot of attention to themselves. As I was able to win five straight title games. Four or something like that. Incredible. Well, they well they they haven't lost one. <laughs> oh, they won they all go, five. Excuse me. They okay. really go. They win. They go three from um uh three from Brock Denson and two from uh, uh Wentz. And so now we'll see what uh, Austin State can do with a whole season uh, of being the man. But yes, yes, they are an unstoppable killing machine, <laughs> basically. Uh, we'll see if somebody can finally stop them. And this is obviously the, the goal of a bunch of programs all over the place to see if they can they can break through the, you know, just the super powerhouse uh, that they've become. So, yes, uh, definitely let Josh know. I'd love to have him on in the very near future to talk about some of the 
the way that that particular season will begin. So, once again, always an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, Montel, always. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again very soon. Of course. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.